First pitch with two on and one out to Eric Karos playing in place of the injured Hesop Choi. Acevedo deals and Karos hits it deep to left. This ball is gone. Three to one Chicago and Clemens will not get number 300 today. Sano plays behind the runner at first, Lopez. And that is a pop-up. Runs on out And they are rocking Wrigley Field. The Cubs have gone ahead in this series. Two games to one on a masterpiece from the young Mark Pryor. A two-hitter against the Braves. And John, we said coming into this series, they were going to have to beat Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood at least once in order to win this series. And that's not a good proposition right now. I mean, Kerry Wood pitched a fantastic game in game one. Now here in game three, Mark Pryor pitches a great game. Pryor on his 133rd pitch of the night gets the pop-up from Fick. And the only run he allowed was a manufactured run. Three to one, the Cubs win. The, they really didn't score enough runs to ordinarily beat the Atlanta Braves. And Mark Pryor was clearly the difference. Eternally optimistic. Swing and a miss by Javier Lopez. And now the Cubs are an out of way. Experience something not done since 1908. You've waited 95 years, Chicago. It's time to celebrate. The Chicago Cubs advance to the National League Championship Series. Sarah Wood undoubtedly will celebrate with her husband who more than likely has to be uh, the MVP of this series going 2-0. 15 in the third innings, allowed three runs, struck out 19 batters. The Florida Marlins are on their way to Chicago, and so are the Cubs. Two outs, ninth inning. And the 1-1. Sammy drives one! Get out the tape measure! Long gone! I don't believe it! Sammy Sosa ties the game 8-8! Eight to eight. Well, Pat, we talked about the fact that Sosa hit the ball right on the screws last time up. This time, a no-doubter against Urbina, who for whatever reason, after throwing a bullet of a fastball by him, he threw him a slider, and Sammy hit it out of sight. Change incident at Miller Park. Two of the sausages in the popular sausage race got hurt tonight when a Pittsburgh Pirates player took a swing at one of them with a bat. Now, this may have been intended as a joke, but now the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department is investigating. Russ Kirkpatrick is live in the newsroom with this breaking story. Russ? That's right, Mike, and no one's laughing now. Here's what we've learned. The sausage race took place in the middle of the seventh inning as usual. But there are questions about whether what happened during the race could be considered assault. As the uh, sausages passed the Pittsburgh Pirate dugout, the first baseman, Randall Simon, took a swing at the Italian sausage. 
Now, the Italian sausage tripped and fell onto another sausage, as you can see there. After a struggle, they both got up and continued to race. Uh, we're told that two women were treated at the Brewers' first aid station. And a spokeswoman for the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department tells me tonight that uh, Simon, the player who hit the sausage, will be interviewed by deputies. Chad Fox working on Simon. The stretch in the pitch. Simon drives one in the air to right. Deep. Back goes Cabrera. Near the wall. That ball is gone. Home run, Randall Simon. Cubs lead 4-3. Randall Simon driving one over the wall and right. And the Cubs have the lead once again. Tying run at second base. The winning one of the plate here in the bottom of the 11th inning with two men out. Routed up the third base line. And the ball dropped by Ramirez. And now they have the runner caught. Castillo in a tag play will end the game. The Cubs have taken game three on a bizarre ending to game three. No score. Cubs have a great chance. Bases loaded, one down. And the 2-2. Swinging a high fly ball, deep left field. Back goes Conine. Conine near the wall, looking up. That ball is a grand slam. It's a grand slam for Aramis Ramirez. Cubs lead 4 to nothing. Right down the left field line. Towering home run. Cubs lead 4-0 in the first. That's the third home run of the postseason for Ramirez. He's doubled his RBI output. This is not the same Dontrell Willis. We told you early that his stuff is short. Now Kerry Wood, a very good hitting pitcher. Went 10 for 61 during the season, hit a couple of home runs. And in game one of the division series, Wood with the big two-run double off Russ Ortiz. It's a great at bat for Woody. Even if he doesn't get a hit, he's up to 43, 44 pitches. As a pitcher up there, you want to make the opposing pitcher throw more pitches. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's time to remember this crap with Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you? Hey, Andy. I'm well. I'm re-energized. Uh, it seems we took a little bit of a summer hiatus and then uh, came back with a twist and explore some olden years. And, uh, I, you know, I, I found myself subsequent to uh, last week's breakdown of the Cub Hall of Fame um, taking a deep dive on the likes of Heine Zimmerman, Hippo Vaughn, and you know, I'm glad to have uh, participated in that and add uh, more useless, uh, useless facts to uh, my repertoire. I 
That was good. I honestly, why, why don't? Um, well, maybe I should sell this T-shirt. But I was thinking, why don't the Cubs sell a Heine Zimmerman shirt? Who wouldn't buy Heine Zimmerman apparel? So I bet you the obvious draw- <laughs> shirt, dude, will be all over it. I like when my we- Heine or something. <laughs> Just to, just to close that paragraph, when we talked about him, we just made fun of his name. We learned that he had won a Triple Crown. Impressive. Uh, my deep dive, though, led me to it. A recent thing I've discovered on Baseball Reference, which I really enjoy is, and I know it's been there a long time, I just hadn't really explored it, was when you go to a player's page uh, at the bottom, they have like this, uh, I guess, a, like a saber biography. So it's a little bit more of a prosaically rendered narrative, and there's one for just about every player. And so in taking my deep dive into into Heine Zimmerman, I uh, learned that uh, he was – considered one of the stupidest human beings huh. uh, to play ball in the uh, 19-teens. So he was uh, uh, the 20, he was the 20th century David Bodie. <laughs> Just a hundred years apart. Bodie provided the the greatest highlight I think we'll get from the 2021 Cubs. Did you see the, the footage of him stepping on the ball and falling down and spraining his ankle? Tremendous. <laughs> it was camouflage because there was something paint. There were words painted in white on the ground, and the ball I saw was the laying. Video, I, I saw the snippet where they paused, oh, the camera zoomed in to a low resolution shot where it sort of blends in, and then zoom back out. <laughs> El cervic it onto the ground. <laughs> oh uh, my! <laughs> what the hell happened to uh, you? It could be a fractured ulna. Well, I, I was thinking like uh, Ron Sedano, but that would still be in the twenty. No, it would be the twenty-first century. Ronnie yeah. was a oh, Ronnie was player. Ronnie was dumb. as far as the the dumbest players. Yeah. R- Roberto Novoa, big spot, Bob. Yeah, Brown of, spot, Bob. One of, one of I always used to joke that the like the Cubs would be going in extra innings. Like the Cubs are in good shape as long as the tiebreaker tonight isn't a spelling bee. Um. <laughs> Yeah, we should hey, I shouldn't say that about Robert that he was dumb, but he certainly looked dumb. And, and there was know. a blank. There was nothing going on in that face. Well, you want to know a who, complete blank. The whole you want to know who might be classically uh, eternally stupid would be uh, the person for whom Navarro was traded for, and that'd be Kyle Farnsworth. Yes. Well, see, that brings back to one of my one of the proud moments in Discipio history was. Thanks to a, a an intrepid reader, we knew why. I don't remember what year this was. Remember when Kyle broke his foot? Uh, I do. Games, and it turned out that someone, one of our readers, had seen him before the game punting a baseball around the outfield, and then he was unavailable that day and went on the disabled list with a broken foot. He broke his foot kicking a baseball like a football in the air. <laughs> Let's let us not also forget Mike Harkey's cartwheel, which uh, ended his season. Yep. Ryan Dempster falling over the, That's trying right. to celebrate a win and climbing over the rail and falling down. That Did he? Good. Unfortunately, I don't think he. Uh, he wasn't. He was not. In, la- it was not a lasting injury. Damn. Okay, so he doesn't belong. There's one area that we can keep him out. And the best part about it is there's, there is a pretty good picture of it. Him like sprawled out in front of the thing Dempster's. and the cubs are wearing these ridiculous like red hats with the blue it must have been like it was some stupid holiday and baseball made them wear these ridiculous hats they look like they should have had a propeller on the top a beanie yeah, it's like, oh god yeah. all right worth it all right well we are back to our normal we are spinning the wheel today random crap time for uh, for anyone following along, you know we're chronicling 32 year period, and so far uh, we've done eight teams. We've 
beaten uh, like a dead horse, uh, eight teams that have been under 500, five that have been over 500, and three playoff teams. What we have remaining uh, in the 19 season, so we're getting close to the halfway point. Uh, we still have six teams uh, to, to, to go over that finished the season 500 above, 13 teams that were under, which uh, is apt. And uh, amongst those 500 teams, those six 500 teams are above, there are still three playoff teams that uh, – we haven't discussed, but still a whole lot of crap. We have pretty much decimated the 90s. We really have. It's uncanny. Uh, there's a lot of the 80s left. 89 is the only season we did, and that was uh, not a crap season. And then there's still a fair amount of the aughts. Yeah, we've done uh, 2000, 2001, 2005, 2009. So still yeah. two, ahead of, uh, the, the two 80s. big ones are still on the board. Yeah, I know. The, the epic ones. The ones that will probably be two hours long yeah. at least. All right. Well, let's fire this up and see what we end up with tonight. Look at that. We're going to be here a while. It's time to relive the Dusty Baker and... Steve Bartman. 2003 Cubs. I probably shouldn't. Well, here we go. All right, so uh, five facts about the 2003 Chicago Cubs. Um, Cubs center fielder Corey Patterson tears his knee um, as he runs into first base. I'm trying to keep this a little random and maybe avoid some of the more obvious ones. Everyone who's listening knows about 2003. Um Opening day was in New York. Opening York, and the aforementioned Corey Patterson had about nine RBIs. Um, Cubs got off to a good start. Uh, 2003 also featured the Sean Estes game. Oh yeah, uh, you might recall in September. In September, in Cincinnati, very much needed. That's right, needed. Uh, it was summer of Randall Simon, which I have nothing but fond memories about, and I'm sure we'll explore. And I'm sure we'll. I'll just finish with the most obvious fact that, that in our lifetimes, this is the uh, the point up until that point where the Cubs had come to close that they would come to um, clinching a National League pennant for the first time since 1945, just a few outs further with the lead than the 84 Cubs, with whom they have a lot of similarities in some sense that I'd like to get to as well. Wait a minute. So you the, you're saying that the 2003 Cubs almost went to the World Series? I don't, <laughs> I don't remember that. Oh. They were ast- they were astonishingly astonishingly close, and uh, I would say of all the playoff teams, right, just off the bat, one of the lowest uh, winning playoff teams. They barely got in. This goes to show you how fickle it can be. But uh, yeah, it was a ride. Yeah, they only won eighty eight games. Clinched on the second to last day. Yeah, they won a yeah a doubleheader sweep. Was it, uh, was it the Pirates, right? It was the Pirates. Not the Brewers. No, the Brewers were helping out in Houston. Wes Obermuller was busy beating That's the, the name. Uh... For, for some reason, I was that, uh, there was an odd name in my head, and I thought, was it Ryan Vogelsong of Pittsburgh or 
Oberweiss or whoever the no, hell. No, not Jim Oberweiss. The guy is. No, the guy who runs for every office in Illinois. No. Doesn't <laughs> win, but still shows up in the Capitol as though he's going to be sworn in. I uh, did that this Jim, year. Yeah, Jim, you didn't, you didn't get elected. Um, Mr. Smith cannot go to Washington. Take your, take your milk and go home, weirdo. Um, ice cream. Yeah, that was uh, yeah, Russell Endorf. They, they were they were battling the uh, the mighty Astros down to the wire and uh, needed needed a couple of wins the last weekend from the Brewers of all teams who were terrible. And got they them. were. Um, yeah, the eleven clinch. It was uh, Chip Carey's finest year, probably. Don't you think? Did a great job announcing for the why because. Cubs. We had our volume turned down most of the season. <laughs> we did have Chip. And I will say that when they clinched, uh, our, our, our local hero, Dave Otto, was actually in the booth. It was on, it was a regional broadcast on Fox 32. And uh, the Cubs play-by-play guy was Steve Stone, who had come back after his rare two-year disappearance, which we had talked about. Is that his Carey. Valley Fever? Did he have Valley Fever one of those years? Supposedly. The, the lung Valley fungus? Fever. Yeah, there was he retired, I thought. And and we and I had to correct myself on these podcasts. I thought Carter and Otto did the games and, and cable and channel nine in two thousand and oh one, but it was oh one and oh two. It was so Stone's return, but he couldn't have been in the booth because he wasn't uh contracted with Fox. Um uh, but somehow Otto was able to for some reason Otto was there and they, they picked it up. So uh good for good for Dave to to call that moment, which also ended you know, it ended on a double play, which is my favorite. Because it means, although probably not in this instance, but most exciting, know, people... most exciting double play in Cup history. Um, are you testing me with one from recent years? I would yeah, think no, there's probably the pennant was close yes, on a probably play. one Thank one you. that Thank was a little you. more exciting Thank than you. the. Yes, and I'm sure people were standing in the ninth inning of both games, but you know, as a longtime grump. You know, I, I stand with two outs in the ninth because that's sort of been the practice for 30 years. But I like to think that uh, they didn't get up yet and the game ended normally. And there it is. The You're uh, right, though. It was, out, it was outdone in 2016. The, the double play to win the pennant caught, seemed to catch everybody by surprise, including Joe Buck. Really? It almost ended too quick all of a sudden. I mean, yeah, didn't once, build. once Puig hit it, and then you knew it could be a double play. But, you know, they were kind of like – getting ready for the last two batters of the game, especially since Hope Kyle he, Hendricks had been cruising and then a roll just came in. And, um, he got a double play to end the eighth, too. Yeah. So now we're turning it into a uh, 2016 podcast. But, um, yeah, so that double play was, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, was it Six, Jose four, three. Hernandez to Mark Redzelanek to Eric Karras? I, Is that I it thought was? it was 4-6-3. I thought oh. of uh, Hernandez in the pivot. I might be wrong, though. We, we'll, we have to I can pick, I, for some I picture Grudzalonic in the middle of that somehow. But maybe I'm completely wrong. Uh, uh, Grudzalonic, um, obviously. I don't remember who was pitching. Yeah. i got to look this up. I don't remember who the pitcher uh, was. Probably Joe. Sweaty Joe is my guess. Uh, let's pull it up. And we'll work our way in whatever order we fucking feel like it. Cause we're I don't think we should even talk about the Cubs. Who wants to talk about that? No. <laughs> so one thing I want to say about the 2003 Cubs was that season was so much fun. It was, that was a, it that was like a, it was unexpected and it was fun. And you never, I never, I like, I rarely ever think about it because of the way it ended. Like I'm right, still, it's true. I'm still so haunted by it that uh, Matt Clement started the game 
Pryor beat the great Could've Josh Fogg in game one. And uh, White Sox. Matt Clement pitched game two. And, oh, guess who was on the mound? Everybody's favorite reliever from 2003, Dave Veers. Dave Veers Dave actually Veers. got to yeah. he was He was on the mound for the big celebration. That piece of wow. shit. Wow. So, so, so Borowski must have pitched. Well, it wasn't uh, a save one. opportunity. It was seven to two. Dusty, Dusty. I'd All like, right. No, I got to go with my I'm save, sorry, man. Right. If we don't that need a save. Foregone conclusion. No, no, no. Well, right. And, and it would actually have make Ramon sense. Ramon Martinez come in and pitch instead. What is your shortstop? That'd be fine. You make a good point, though, and I'm glad we have the opportunity to do this because you're absolutely correct. It was a fun season. It was very much like 84. It was out of the blue somewhat. It really was because 02 was terrible. We don't think we've covered that team yet, but we've covered adjacent teams to it. Um, terrible adjacent. It was, it was <laughs> right. It was terrible adjacent. Uh, I will say that it had probably more than the typical – standard optimism that we always have had in, in time immemorial and for all teams, you always have that little bit of optimism. I had it in 84, even though I had no reason to, because they won nine spring training games and they hadn't you know, proven anything. Um, but I think we had a little bit of a, you know, it had been done before where they came out of the blue, you know, 84, 89 and 98 were kind of out of the blue, uh, but having dusty come in, I come in, we were all, you know, it wasn't like he had to win us. He won us in January. Uh, of that year, when he got the day he got hired, the day he was at the convention. Well, and and so, two thousand two was a terrible year, except for one thing, and that was we got our first Mark glimpse. Bellhorn setting records. Well, no, sorry, I was thinking of a different Mark. <laughs> so we got our first glimpse at Mark Pryor, and realized right. right away that he was really good. And you know, and then there was still the you know we were we were all still in the tank for Kerry, and he thought we well, got those two guys. Hoping it stay healthy, and Clement was kind of an under, sort of an understated acquisition for the '02 season. You know, '03 was his second year. Um, that was he came along with Alfonseca, but I couldn't, I couldn't uh, remember who the Cubs traded for. But Clement was solid. You don't remember who the Cubs uh, traded for Matt Clement and Antonio Alfonseca? Are you going to shame me because I totally should know? Off he was the, the rookie of, of the year for the, for the in the National League and pitched against the Cubs in the playoffs. So the Cubs beat him. The D-Train. Oh, that's right. Dontrell Willis. But that, he wasn't the feature. He was he wasn't even supposed to have pitched that season. Well, as early as 03, because that's the year Dontrell came up. Was he the, the main piece? Was Dontrell, like, I, I remember being maybe a little bit excited about Dontrell, but he was way down in the system, right? Mm. I don't remember. Guess, uh, but no, so I like, this is funny. I like guess who's... Guess who started game two of that doubleheader against Matt Clement? You, you have already mentioned him. Uh, but it's not Ryan Vogelson. It was Ryan Vogelson. Oh, okay. They had quite <laughs> I a line. Know he pitched. They, I, they, even, I don't know how the Cubs beat him twice. They had Tyke Redman, Abraham Nunez, Rob McCoyak, who what, a couple years oh, later would hit yeah, like we'll eight home runs him, in the, the doubleheader. Day weekend and the following season, actually, I believe. Uh, Craig Wilson, Carlos Rivera, Jason Bay. Uh, Jason Bay. And oh, wait yeah. a minute. Uh, Jose Hernandez was a pirate, not a cub. So I don't I think he started that, that double play. Oh, you're right. For, yeah, in, the, in the Aramis trade, right? Yeah, so it would have been uh, Gredzalang to uh, Gonzalez. There's no way Gonzalez is not in the game for defense at the end. And I don't mean that ironically because he 
was actually a good glove man. Right, which is what made the just like, which is what made the like error even, even more galling because it was like the one you yeah. would have picked him as somebody hit the just hit the ball to Gonzalez and then we saw what happened. I know, and it's you know he should have made it, but yeah, of he course, came. They sub they sub Gonzalez in in the ninth for defense. He didn't start. I wouldn't. Uh, I couldn't tell you offhand who the, without really stopping this in its tracks and thinking about it. Who else would have played shortstop? Ramon Martinez was. Oh, that's right. So it was, it was, it was, it was, it was those, a doubleheader. So. He was one of those. He was Ramon Martinez is one of those little dusty guys. Yes, from the that were not very impressive, but did some good things. Tom Goodwin was another one. He also did a lot of bad things. Um, well, <laughs> catcher in that catcher in game two uh, was Gabor. Gabor Paul okay. Baco, one of my least yep. favorite Cubs of all time. Um, Which, uh, yeah, and, yeah, regular catcher is Damian Miller. So, yeah, you're, you talked about how the so <laughs> Dusty had been managed the Giants to the World Series in 2002. Got them the previous season. Got them super close to winning the World Series. Famously, took Russ Ortiz out late in the game with a big lead. He himself was four had, or five outs, I believe. Had Russ from. keep the ball, and then the Angels just went ham and came back and won the game, and then won Game Seven. Um, then blowing Game Six cost one of my favorite all-time Cubs, Sean Dunstan. He he would have he would have hit a lead-changing home run in the World Series in his last at-bat ever. Lead-changing and game-winning? Is that the one that would have held up? It would have been the eventual game-winner, yes. It was, that, was the, that was the last run the Giants scored. Sean deserved that. Um, so maybe not lead-changing. It was they big. Because they blew a big lead. But anyway, it would have been a big deal, and they, Dusty fucked that up. And the Giants were so enthralled with Dusty, he would won a lot of games for them. That his contract had expired, and they said, eh, "Thanks, uh, we're going to hire Felipe Lou, and you can go yeah. away." And uh, he famously owed the IRS uh, quite a bit of money. As and so, happens. when when the Cubs showed up with a big sack of cash, uh, he said, oh, "Okay," and came yeah. to manage the Cubs. He had reservations about it because he was very good friends with Don Baylor, and Don had just been canned by the Cubs the year before. But Don basically said, that's eh, not so bad. Go get him. Take the money. And Dusty really did bring a completely different attitude to that franchise. 100%. Um, it was, that first year was fun. I mean, we got tired of Dusty's bullshit after a while. But Well, there's, there's, I think there's a point where the bloom is off the rose and then it's ugly. It well, really, and I, I'm going to go it, even, when we get to the way it ended, I, I feel like Dusty, I think it, that team broke Dusty. The combination yeah, of right. almost of blowing the World Series in spectacular fashion in 02 and then blowing the pennant in spectacular fashion in 03, Dusty was never, he was never the same. And he's won he's a lot not. of games since, but he, he wasn't the Dusty the Cubs had in 03. Um, but it's, it was famous for a series, not the, we'll get to this one, the big, the five games of four days against the, Labor Day, yep. Against the Cardinals, but there was a Cardinal series before that when LaRusa was doing some of his typical Tony LaRusa shit. And Dusty walked up out of the dugout and got on the top step and just started screaming at Tony. Basically, <laughs> tell him, knock that shit off. We don't put up with that shit anymore. Which every Cub fan loved. We ate that up like it was because we all fucking, we still hate Tony LaRusa. And it was, was great have- to have our manager telling him to go fuck himself. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I had, Dad and I had gone to the Cub Convention the year before, and there you go that in that winter. And I remember we had the conversation because Dusty was really impressive at the Cub Convention. And I remember yeah. thinking, if he can't figure this shit out, then we're never going to see them win, ever. Which we and, learned later is not true, but that's a genuinely real feeling at the time. Yeah, I mean, it, it gets to be burdensome. I mean, there are, and it's funny, there's a lot of differences, but there's a lot of, if you do a Venn diagram of Joe Madden and Dusty Baker, there is a big meaty middle that is similar. I mean, I down to the that. kind of, you know, everything's cool and the jazz and the, and yeah. drinking wine. I mean, Dusty did cool stuff for reporters. Like he would, he would remember that reporters liked a certain kind of food and he would like, He'd have it ordered in and like present it to them before a game. Like, yeah, I remember I was at this place and I know you like it here. And he would like, you know, that, um, that's kind of it's kind of Joe-ish. Dusty had a different and a lot of it. I, we don't want to get into the sociology of it, but Dusty had a far different upbringing in life and through baseball, obviously, than cool white Joe right. did. So there no, was an edge was... there that Joe. Joe didn't can't have, have. Right. Joe can't right. have, but they did sort of exude that sort of, I, I wouldn't say hippie ish, but they're really kind of a laid back kind of a brotherly uh, type of appeal, I think. And that's easier to pull off when you're new. And also when things are going well, obviously, um, you know, you, you talk, so you talk about that convention and I've told this story before on podcasts and, and, in you know, uh, other, other forms of communication. But uh, when, when I first came across your writing was in 2003 and I think you can probably attest to this. It happened just coincidentally happened to be uh, the same year that you sort of got a whole wave of uh, like new readers. Cause it just kind of, it grew because the Cubs are doing well. Both because and, I was, you guys were looking for Cub content, and I clearly was providing sort of the best I was looking, Cub content I was in a, that anyone I could having, consume. I was well, and I, I sort of was. I was actually blogging myself at the time. I don't know how. I'm not that technical, but a friend of Oleg's was like, you know, set him up, and I already had this blog role of like the Cub reporter and the Cub pundit, and I can't even remember the Unku sloth, and and somehow I had that, and they and I was on theirs. Like, oh, that's nice. And you weren't on any of those, and and nobody, and you didn't have anybody on yours, but so you weren't exactly easy to find in the very beginning. I'm no, I had the, like I had my way too clever name Just yes so you know. it should have been like cubby you know right so i was like two cubby ball that net right that i was like into, i'd be a millionaire right, right i was like two months into this like cubs blogosphere and again writing my things writing things myself basically hijacking this blog from oleg that his buddy kind of set him up with every now and then to post my you know inarticulate random screeds but around that time and this was probably after the season gotten underway so it was like may or june and i was in a conversation i think with one of my brothers and we we're just, just you know talking about uh sandberg and how his career went south and things that we've talked about about rumors surrounding his retirement and so the uh the question was raised was there anybody besides Dave Martinez and Rafael Palmeiro and you know we're living in the early days of Google this Google machine where I'm like hey I don't know the internet's told me a lot of interesting new stuff lately let me just see so with the sort of boolean search of you know Cindy Sandberg and baseball did player to, blah 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 did you go to dogpile.com <laughs> and type in it was corn cob corn dress, dress. I, uh, the very first hit back then, this is before, you know, a lot of marketing has flooded Google searches. So you'd sort of get sort of unadulterated, uh, uh, results. And 
yours had to be the first one was the reference. And I was like, hey, this, this, I'm just curious if there's anybody besides those two. And instead, I was taken to this thing that kind of looked like a blog that the other people that I was interacting with had, except, number one, you used your real first and last name. Nobody did that, right? It was always like, I was Mike D. There was the uncouth sloth. There was Ruse. Well, how, do you know, how do you know it's really my real Well, first I, I was more like, who's this ass? Like, you know, actually, I was impressed. Like, who's, who's this, this guy? Who's this pompous prick? He's using his first name and his last name. I'm supposed to know who this is. But, but I, didn't, I was like reading it, and it was sort of... You know, I've always, obviously, we've talked about, and we, we, you know, work together. I've always found your writing very relatable because I think we have similar upbringing, similar age, demographic, Cubs, Bears, Notre Dame. Uh, and just, so I was drawn to the, and I remember I like, you know, turned uh, Oleg on to it. And eventually for a while that summer, you did start appearing in other people's blog roles. But then you still had, you had like the A-list, <laughs> Kelly, maybe a page for Kelly Dwyer. Yeah. Uh, God, I, I missed the A-list. And so, yeah. So, just like for the inside, the inside scoop here for just for this, you know, just for the explanation of how Stevie Nicks did cocaine. That's right. Alone. That's the number one thing I think. Woo! So. Good yes. God! I, yes. Her assistant. Let's just say, boys That's and girls, <laughs> Stevie Nicks' assistant never made enough money. Never. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> long so, story short, I, don't too you late. Th- I think about this. Don't you think I invented Twitter? Uh, so during I, games, yeah. we did the, we did GameCast, Game and that Cast basically was, was just a long Twitter thread. It was just a bunch of assholes. And, and that, yeah, that was before like, a lot kind of, of like It was always box. like one line, us making fun yes. of, and then of course we had the sh- I, I had a shout box. And well, you were young and put no, you you, you did yeah. But you I don't were, remember. Like, I don't put, think I had the shout box in 03, though. But you, you did not. You were putting out prodigious. You were putting out shit daily because you were. Yeah, you probably had the energy and whatever. Like you're just, and the Cubs were interesting, and you, you probably saw that all of a sudden you had this following, and the Cubs were like pulling this shit off. So it's kind of neat. I mean, you yourself could probably point well, I to started, how much I started it's the blog in writing or the site because I didn't know there wasn't wasn't a blog because there weren't blogs. Right, what the hell's a blog? Uh, but I started the site in the worst possible year of 1997 when they were terrible. Yeah. And of course, but then we had the magical '98. So I kind of built up a readership in '98. Your but then first, they go back to being bump. terrible in '99. They're terrible in 2000. And then they have, and then '01 we come back, and then '02, and now here it is in '03. Yeah, and yeah. yes, that's I had, you know, at the well, time a lot of readers. Mm-hmm. And so the, well, the whole internet idea was, had become so much more accessible. By the whole idea was too. keep keep cranking out the content, you know, yeah. and even if you have to write stupid shit like. Uh, like Bleacher Nation does every day, just to, because you gotta have you gotta you gotta have six posts yeah. a day. I did the daily dose. I did a long list of links every morning, and I would start the night before and look for stuff. So I'd have it pretty well. Started. So you would you would type in Mariotti puts down the donut yep. the night before. Well, and then not stuff like that. It. There was there were like some of the more like I had to leave in the morning. I had to go through the papers. <laughs> and pull and pull still, like Seabiscus Jockey and Mariotti with the donut and yeah. um I don't remember. David Huff wasn't around yet. Wizard right? of Roz. The Wizard of Roz. That's back when Barry and I were on good terms. That went yep, very yep. south very fast. Um now you win some All because I wrote a column that was completely correct. I did a make your own Barry Rosner column column because and it was stupid shit like talk about the Talk about how the Cubs shouldn't have fired their former trainer. Um, pick a 
uh, here's something from Sanjay H. The greatest general manager doesn't work in baseball. Oh, yeah. Remember that guy? Who? Yeah. And it would. And then, uh, oh, um, Greg Cody wrote something funny in Miami. I'm going to link to that because instead of writing, I'll just link to somebody else's stuff. And I could, you could build a Rosner column with by plugging that shit in. And he got all pissed off when he saw it. And I'm like, you shouldn't be that pissed. It's right. Maybe, maybe fresh. Yeah. Maybe, maybe write an actual column once in a while. The only thing, he hadn't written a real column since Ben Christensen hit Anthony Molina in the face with a ball. Oh, he yeah, that was like his. He made a Richard meal out of that for Bob Green. Yeah, <laughs> was. Yeah, yeah we, so we the whole idea we, was I would have some of the links, like the feature story stuff. I would find that I thought was interesting. I'd have those yep. set, and then the morning yep, I'd go yep. through because I didn't, you know, I had a real job. So in the morning I could go through That's and plug I mean. in like the yep. the first seven or eight links and write a little something about the game for the night before, and then yep. post that. And then game casts were whenever the Cubs were on. Yep, which is of course I, we're all at work. I threw the I yeah, it was middle of the afternoon most of the time. Yeah, um, I think they're still only playing about twenty-two night games a year in 03. It might have been right around then where it jumped, maybe not because you know it was only 15, well, fifteen years in. Um, I also didn't hurt. But, I was I was single at the time, <laughs> so that didn't hurt. I had a lot of free time. You were churning them out, and we were following along, and it was it was quite a ride. You know, I, I alluded to in the five facts that you know Patterson uh, has a huge opening day, which I think he did that in '02 also in Cincinnati, you know, like ten RBIs in successive opening days. But there are some similarities, maybe to the '07 Pinella team that we talked about, where they're kind of like Dusty was still sort of detoxifying mm-hmm. whatever there was around there. You know, they well, only won '88. Speaking games of detoxifying. Seven. One of Jim Hendry's best trades happened in the offseason before. Yeah. And that was getting rid of Todd Hundley, who literally at one point was detoxing behind home plate in Bush (laughs) Stadium and passed out during a game. Um, Traded him and got two usable players. Got Margot Zelenik and Eric Karros for him. Absolutely. I don't know what Ned Coletti was thinking, but I'm glad he was thinking it. Yeah. Ned Coletti. Yeah. And, uh, that was uh, they had everyday second baseman, and you know they did not. So care they were hoping, and we as fans, I think I can say this: we were all hoping that he stopped. Choi was going to be our first baseman. He was a bulky first, you know, the high on base. He was one of these new money ball players, Korean. He just seemed cool. Patterson had really struggled in 2 but it was his first full season. They kind of threw him into the water, and so you figure, well, you know, he'll bounce back. And he, th- there was a bounce back. Although, you know, people that blame his injury on the downfall of his career, I think, are overlooking some facts. But he, he did contribute uh, early on. And Choi, Choi kind of got off to a slow start. But uh, I don't know if you want to jump to the – there was an epic well, game that summer. Yeah, before we get but, to the epic game, um, Corey Patterson had an, had an Ian Happ season is what he had. He had one really good month. He happened to have it early – and so mm-hmm. he pumped his numbers up. He had impressive numbers, and they were coming down to earth kind of fast. Yes. And honestly, one of the best things he did for his career, ironically, was In the short term. blowing out his knee when he did mm-hmm. because it mm-hmm. froze his stats where they looked good. And people thought, yes. because honestly, had he, I think what would have happened, had he not gotten hurt, I think they still make the Kenny Lofton trade. Except then Kenny is not a two-month fill-in for Corey. Kenny becomes potentially the long, you know, not long-term, but um, 
they bring him back for 04. I think. Bring Kenny back. Kenny. Because they're like, Corey. Is that, was that assuming that Corey, is that assuming Corey tanks? It's assuming that had Corey You're not got Corey hurt, doesn't get hurt. Corey doesn't get hurt. It, it, they, they, have, they have evidence that he's not that fucking good. I don't think that organization would have done that. Well, but don't it you was think, Jim you, Henry's first full season. Well, Sorry. but you got to remember who the manager was. Dusty's whole Dusty was Henry had to literally start taking old guys away from Dusty because he wouldn't not play them. This is we'll get to the whole Lenny Harris thing. He literally cut Lenny Harris because Dusty kept playing him. And the only it's way true. to get him to stop playing him is to cut him. Had you given yeah. Dusty clearly would so have lobbied. It, I need it, Kenny on this team next year. Right. But then we get right. to the whole thing where part of the reason Kenny didn't want to come back was Kenny and Kenny and Sammy didn't like each other. Right. Even though coincidentally Sam, Sammy was approaching the end himself, but as it turns out, um, yeah. So when Corey got hurt, he was hitting uh, two ninety eight. Which is the number? Can I tell the, you with, another with a five eleven slug? Another fun fact that I regret not recalling in time for my my top five is that two thousand three was the season that once for sure and possibly twice, Corey Patterson was intentionally so that the opponent could face Samuel Peralta right. Sosa. That happened. That happened, folks, in two thousand three. That's how hot Corey Patterson was for a while happened to dovetail with Sosa being in a cold-ass stretch. And Sammy was approaching a bit of the end, but as we would see later on, he's well. still capable of some shit. But it's a fact that they put Corey on base to face Sammy. One was in the freezing-ass cold game in the first Saturday in June against the Astros. So I, I think it went about 16 innings. I think I told this story, right? So 2003 was the season I was the official score for the Blade Snappers. So oh, I had, he a lot, told I had, some great I had a lot going on in 03. Yeah. And I walk into the I walk I walk into Don Money's office after a game to give him the box score and he's I told I've, I know I've told this story before. That man got from his full baseball uniform to just a just a sleeve you know, he'd taken uh like a regular you know those baseball shirts with the three quarter sleeves yeah. and he would just cut those sleeves off. So he's got it basically turns into a tank top. That and his underwear. He would be within 15 seconds of the game being over, he's in, he's in a half he's in a cutoff shirt and his underwear sitting behind his big metal desk in his office, and then he had his lockers in front and he had this shitty old TV on top of the lockers. And I walk in and Don's just pointing at it and he goes, "Get a look at this shit." And what this shit was was Jeremy Gonzalez pitching for the Tampa Bay Ray Devil Rays with Lou Pinella in the dugout and Sammy Future Sosa's Cup. bat exploding and yep. cork showing. Yep. Yeah. So that was, I mean, Sammy, he got to that point where he was now trying to use a corked bat in a game because he had no bat speed. Had they, had they been cracking down on steroids by then? Or it just, does it not, is it less effective as you age into your upper thirties? The real crackdown came a couple years later, right? Well, so was could have been until the end. This is why it's remember this crap, not research this crap. Famous. Was O <laughs> three the year they did the testing? I think that like, wasn't supposed it, to, the I results think were never by, supposed to come out. It was, they did like I survey can't. testing and if X amount tested positive, then the next year they would test for real. I always, and that was, that was when it leaked that, that Sammy and David Ortiz and all those guys had funk had flunked a test and no one is hundred percent sure whether they really did or, I mean, it, it was, it just seemed, you're right. It was one of those things where it was like, 
if you if you said that, everybody's gonna be like, well, of course they did because they were huge. And at some point, whether they did it in 03 or not, those guys had done roids, so it was very believable. But there's um there's really some doubt that the that the thing people got the 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 few people got their hands on that showed the positive tests. A lot of people think that was bullshit. That it was just somebody who picked all the usual suspects. Okay. And writers have used that as the proof to keep like Sammy out of the Hall of Fame. And the Ricketts apparently use that as the proof to keep him out of the uh, uh, the, the illustrious Cub Hall of Fame when of when course. it comes time next year to finally right, indict. Right. 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 Uh, Jose Canseco's book, by the way, Juiced, came out February of 05, but I know he was talking a lot. This is before Twitter. He was talking a lot before that, but like in interviews and stuff. So I, I think it was, it was really like the early vestiges of when people like stopped putting their head in the sand about it, I guess. Yeah. By then we were all like, well, of course these guys are on it. I mean, we weren't. We, were, we knew it 98 though. We talked about it. I we mean, were dumb, Sammy but we weren't stupid. Talking to Flintstone vitamins. Well, he was when he showed up for spring training in '98. He was enormous. I mean, you had to be a oh, I took my Flintstone vitamins and pumped up. It's like, well, that was the joke. Though. <laughs> well, that was a Sammy would say. Sammy said it was a Flintstone vitamins. Right, right. So yeah, the idea that nobody knew. It's like no, nobody had nobody had definitive proof, but everybody knew. Well, Brady Anderson, really, 1996, seven years earlier. That's really the, All right, I the sold, outlier. So I sold Corey Patterson short. He had two really good months. Oh, um, uh, four after they got Nomar in August? Tell me I'm right. Because I feel like they got Nomar, and then Dusty inexplicably put Patterson at the lead No, I mean, in, in, in 03. In, oh, okay. Well, yeah, because he didn't go out till June. So he actually, yeah, so wasn't he, quite happy in. He got hurt in July. Um. In April, he hit 300 with a 330 on base and 550 slugging, five homers, 22 RBIs. In May, he hit 333 with 345 on base and 565 slug. By the end of May, he had 11 star. homers and 42 RBIs batting leadoff. We're like, ooh, we've got a star. He cooled off a little in June, 269, 319, 452. But in July, and when he got hurt, he had it was it was only six games. But he was hitting 235, 278, 294. So his June and July had dropped off precipitously. And uh, okay, and then he, the injury made his froze his numbers at a 298. Yep. And we're like, all right, yep. here it is. When he gets back and he's healthy, he's going to be awesome. And he was never awesome. Yeah, well, like I said, there was a stretch after they got Nomar, and incidentally, he wasn't really ever batting leadoff in 03. I just glanced at it. Uh, Dusty put Grud Zalonic. At least that's not right. Do, no, that's Dusty. That's you got the center no, fielder has to lead to off, second, and the right. second baseman has to bat second. Right. We know Dusty's no. rules. Uh, Patterson was down in the order, but he, had, he actually had seven RBIs as the Cubs pinned Tom Glavine's Tom Glavine's ears back. Um, and that well, that must have Curry disappointed. I mean, that must have really disappointed Al Yellen. <laughs> Why? Because remember when Al was rooting for Glavin to win his 300th because in Wrigley because he would see. I it. was there, and it happened on a Sunday night. I was there, but I was more excited because it was Kerry Woods' return from another one of his myriad, um, you know, stretches on the DL. And Wood, of course, was the starter in opening day, and that would have been his first opening day start for the Cubs. Um, but yeah, you know, they got off. Uh, it just feel like they. Um, 
like I said, it felt a little bit like 2007 where they, you know, they played well. I think they played pretty well, but they weren't, they never, you know, looked at, they never really looked that strong. Probably the whole season, I guess the, the division was down, but uh, you know, they never fell too far behind and you know, they did have those pitchers. I mean, Wood was pretty damn good. Wood is coming off the season in which as bad as the Cubs were, it was his first season, which he didn't miss a start. So we start breathing a sigh of relief. Well, they only, have prior. they only had one, when loss-wise, they only had one really good month. And it was September. Was they went 19-8 and eight in September. So they okay. kicked it into gear. They, yeah. were, they were over 500 in April and May, 14 and 12 and 15 and 12, under 500 in June and July, 12 and 15 and 12 and 14. They were 15 wow. and 13 in August, and then they finished 19 and 8. They, they were helped by the fact that the Astros, the Cardinals had been... Um. Well, no. Who was who won the division in O two? That was O two. The Cardinals uh, lost the pennant to the Giants. I know they went to the playoffs. That's right. Could have been one of those. For so years, was... the Cardinals and Astros would both go to the playoffs. And then in O four, the Cardinals had a great one, like one hundred and four games. But lost, and the three. Astros also went to the playoffs. So, so the Cubs found this little bubble in O three, yeah. um, where eighty eight wins would win the division because that had been the best division in the National League. And it was pretty good. It had, they were it had an teams, off year. They were setting two teams to the playoffs, most you know, for multiple seasons. You know, you had the Pirates and the Brewers at the bottom, and the Cubs were with them, and the Cubs decided to join those guys in 03, which probably diluted that win total because they're, you know, they were probably winning over 90 in the previous years. I see where the, the Cubs were in first the entire month of May and kind of bounced in and out in June and July, but you're right. They didn't see, they went from, which is kind of rare, I think, but uh, they went from July 2nd, the only day in the month of June. This is how tight the division were, was. The day before on July 1st, they were in third place. It came out. Yeah. So, and then they were tied for first, but between July uh, 2nd and uh, well, it's uh, basically shortly after that Cardinal series that we're going to get into. They were still not in first after that series, but they, you know, they, they went into it down two and a half, and uh, were still out a half. But with a that, week, that's when they made the move. With a week to they were, go, they were in second place. I see that. Yeah. And yeah. then you saw what happened. Then they went. They had they got three clutch starts in a row from their stars. Well, Mark Pryor, re- yes. Terry Wood, and Sean Estes. I already referenced the Sean Estes game. Before we get to and we're gonna let's get it out of the way, but before we get to the Sean Estes game, I'm just gonna say one thing. As you know, um I've been a season ticket holder for, you know, since ninety seven, but and in 03, I was still living in the city. I was married, uh didn't have kids yet, so I was still going to my fair share of games. And however many I went to, I wanna say in every single one of those games, Sean Estes was starting. <laughs> and this is a rotation that had three fucking bulls, all right, that were already sort of like showing their stuff. Wood, Pryor, and of course, our beloved Carlos Zambrano. Yeah. Matt Clement was a hell of a fourth. I mean, that's, I think, without analyzing it, you'd have to think that the pitching really carried them and probably. You know, look at a lot of those games in September. So Estes, and it just felt like luck of the draw. Every time I got there, I get to see I had a one in five shot, and I would keep landing on Estes. But uh, he did contribute in September by throwing a was it a one hit shutout? Uh, but it was they were they were up a game and they're barely holding on. There's less than a week's worth of games left, and Sean Estes, who was the guy that we all dumped on, we we loved 
our four starting pitchers, we hated Sean Estes. And I particularly hated him because he was always uh, pitching when I went to Wrigley Field. Uh, it was actually a four-hit yeah, shutout. Four yeah, that was, it's the Sean Estes game. Um, so there you go, Sean. You helped us get to uh, the playoffs. Well, he only gave up start. hits to stars, though. <laughs> Ryan Friel, Russell Brannion, Willie Mo Pena, and Jason LaRue. Wow. I will always call him Wiley Mo Pena, by Wiley, the way, Wiley because Mo. he didn't have an E in his name. I insist. <laughs> That's a name that has not ever been uttered on this podcast. So no, we didn't. That's I, the first had, Willie Mo Pena. I hadn't thought a about Jim, it A Jim Bowden favorite. He loved Willie Mo, and then where he when he went, he came up with around. He went Austin to the Nats, Penn. and he traded for him. He, he had to get. He had to have Willie Mo on his team. He was he times. was Jim Bowen's Sammy Sosa. He was Larry yeah. Himes's uh, Sammy Sosa. Um, but yeah, that's, that was in September. I guess to pull it back when the Cubs are sort of, you know, scrapping there, you know, you're in first place the whole month of May. We don't have a lot of experience with that. And, you know, we talked about the 77 team. So obviously, you know, we're aware that it can go South, but we're, we're optimistic, you know, they're, they're hanging in there and we go into June. I think it's an appropriate time to put a little bit of a spotlight on a particular game, which I'm going to say, even though it had a lot of hype, it was one of the coolest uh, Cubs games that I've ever been to. Uh, when the when the Yankees came to town for the first time, and it would have been since 1938, so 65 seasons. And uh, the Yankees had played in Wrigley Field twice in 1932 and 38, and swept the Cubs both times. So the Cubs had never, never beat beaten the Yankees, the Yankees Wrigley. in Wrigley Field. And on Friday, that fat fuck David Wells pitched for the Yankees, uh, and the Yankees won again. So the streak was, I'm guessing, 5-0, and possibly 6-0. and uh, But Saturday was just one of those unique incidences in, you know, in history and in sports history where the, the stars align. And the buildup is uh, Roger Clemens. I was going to say Hall of Famer Roger Clemens, nope. but he la- laughably is not a Hall of Famer. Um, Coming to town with the New York Yankees, who were still had that glow. They hadn't won a World Series in a couple of years, but they'd still won four of the previous seven, and were, you know, they were a, a power. And but the story, of course, was that Clemens was going for his 300th win, yep. and he was also hoping that that was the day his son could utter more than two words. And we we'll get to that, <laughs> but um, I, but on the other end, which you know, Cody with dr- a K, the the drug go Yankees. Uh, <laughs> The, the drama, you know, because we're not done here, of course, is that our guy, Kerry Wood, who we've talked about a lot on this, and we still will because he, you know, pitched in parts of eight, nine seasons, I think, but uh, also from Texas like Clemens. And I think our hope, our, our, our you know, most optimal take on Wood when he arrived with a, with a flash and took the league by storm is that he was the the successor to in a, in a, in a line of succession, starting with Nolan Ryan and carrying through Roger Clemens, that Wood was there to take the mantle. And uh, at this point, we still thought that was possible because he'd stayed healthy for once for a year and a half, but Wood was the pitcher uh, on the other end, uh, the fellow Texan. So a lot at stake national TV game, beautiful June afternoon. My brother almost got into a fight with some asshole in a Yankee shirt that wouldn't that uh, kept standing up uh, in the aisle uh, in front of us. But nevertheless, uh, one of those rare instances where the game itself, the results of the game, probably even exceeded those expectations. I'm sure you'd agree. 
Yeah, and there's, uh, there's more more things that happen. Do you too, remember? But, you remember what Roger was doing after every inning? Changing jerseys and trying to cash in. And he had this metal this this big metal trunk that they had lugged into the dugout. I guess because the the um, clubhouse, the visiting clubhouse, is famously <laughs> not anywhere near the dugout. So he okay. was. After it's every a shitty hole, a shitty hole in the wall, yeah. too. On top of so after every inning, he would go down into the hallway, take his jersey off, fold it up, put it in the trunk, and put another one on, because if say he pitched seven innings, he wanted seven jerseys. He'd keep one, probably give one to the Hall of Fame, and then he could sell five of them because they, he wore them during his 300th win. And Fox was making a big fucking deal. That's probably why I remember it more than you because you were at the game, and it was really right. pissing me off. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> it's like, obnoxious. Oh, it's pretty game. obnoxious. Yeah. And it's ironic, though, that the game is less remembered for Rod. I mean, obviously, if, you, if you're a Cubs fan, a Cubs fan, fan you remember him going for the 300 win, but that's not what you remember the game for. There's two other moments that you remember yeah. more. I Like iconic moments that everyone listening, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, we don't have any fans that started following the Cubs in 05. At least I, I would be terrified to think of that. So... Um, the aforementioned Hesop Choi. Well, first of all, I think uh, the game itself was tight. I'm just going to say that uh, uh, what's the guy's name? Matsui. He hit a homer into the basket off of Wood in the fifth. Then, so the game is living up to and the. And bragged about uh, his extensive porn collection. I'm sure all the way around. Um. But yeah, so that happened in the fifth inning, but not before. That was the inning after this moment happened. The our, our aforementioned Korean first baseman, Hesop Choi, who is you know, uh, we were we were a fan of him. He was struggling a little bit though. Uh, he his name was Thunder Chant. Hesop Choi. In fact, fans yeah. the next year were still chanting it at Derek Lee when he got off to a very slow start. Yeah, that figures. They came around. Uh, New new Yankee um, new Yankee hire a new Yankee acquisition Jason Giambi it might have been his second season with the Yanks he hits a pop up with one out in the fourth and Kerry Wood as a pitcher should of yeah, course really away. have no business uh, going for a pop up Kerry though you know he's he's, he's not a pitcher he's, he's an athlete he's a little bit of a catch a, it. a little bit of an, yeah an athlete with a little bit of a granite for for a skull. Um, and when that might have contributed to what happened next, when uh, the pitcher Kerry Wood and a uh, first baseman Hesop Choi collide violently, and I don't even remember was the ball caught. Yeah, Choi caught the ball, but was rendered unconscious, I believe. Um, certainly had a concussion and was immobile. He, he hit his. On he the missed. Yeah, he, he missed the grass. He hit the That's base right. path, and so he hit the he, he hit, hit the, the dirt. dirt. That's what it was, which didn't That's help. Right. Which then led to the completely bizarre, um, like witness the, the, just the bizarre event of the right field wall doors, the doors on the right field wall uh, in Wrigley Field, which you would see when they would maybe sometimes wheel in a you know a batting cage or something like that, uh, or, a, <laughs> or a or like a. a like a 68 Grand Torino to give to Billy Williams in 1972 on Billy Williams Day. It's like, it's used? <laughs> oh, P.K. Wrigley. But then, yeah, we see. So, you know, it, it's kind of it's kind of funny to think, too, that the, the iconic firehouse, which houses, you know, EMT has the fire truck. And I think there's a ambulance in there right on Waveland. 
they had a wheel out. In fact, it came from there because I remember hearing the boom because my seats are near the left field corner, and you kind of heard a you know a thing just to, like get out of the way. Not that they didn't have to blare anything. So this ambulance pulls out of the fire station, drives down to uh, down Waveland to Sheffield, hangs a right, and then enters the ballpark from the uh, right field wall, and then drove on and was able to get a heat uh, carted off. You know, uh, unfortunately, it was pretty much the end. Of, we talk about yeah Patterson you know, finishing a season. Unfortunately, it wasn't the end of Corey, but this actually turned out to be the end of Heesop. Yeah, but. it's a good thing that didn't happen in. 2015 to 2020, the ambulance Why? coming on the field because you would have never gotten Kyle Schwarber out of the ambulance. He would have been so excited. He would have gotten on it and he would have wanted to go for a ride. And he would have, would have wanted, to, the siren? Would have wanted to play with those lights and the siren. My brother had a dog that uh, this big uh, golden, la- uh, uh, golden lab or a uh, yellow lab named Bo. And for a while, it was living with a gym was remodeling a house. And so he needed the dog to stay at the, on the farm. Okay. And so it was, it was very tenuously coexisting with my dog, Rex. Uh, they were fine until the weather started to get cold and then they started fighting over who was going to lay on the porch. But anyway, um, if my dad would get in the truck, if he had to be careful, cause if Bo got, if Bo would run by him and jump in the truck. If he got in the truck, you had to take him somewhere. You could not physically get him out of the truck unless you went somewhere. <laughs> and all Daddy would have to do is drive down the road, make a U-turn, come back, open the door, and he would get out happy as hell. Nice. But you could not get Bo out of the truck. And I've, I just picture Kyle Schwarber doing the same thing, just getting in the ambulance. And the ambulance having to, like, drive around the field a couple of times, and then the door opens, and Kyle finally gets out. Oh, yeah. Well, un- unfortunately, he stopped was, I think, rendered too immobile to uh, put up such resistance. So we, the, that's the only time, right, that, uh, that an ambulance I, has been on the field at Wrigley Field. Well, I'm sure it was for Bears games. I'm sure they probably had. Well, yeah, I mean, for the, for the Cubs. Now, do yeah, you remember, I, remember years later when the Cubs, it was it was Mother's Day. The Cubs were playing the Cardinals in kind of a monsoon. There'd been a delay, but they were going to try to play through it. And Eli Marrero. Eli Marrero ripped his And they brought the out field. that weird, it was like a chair oh, that. that they put him that. in. And oh, they, yeah. wheeled, they wheeled him out <laughs> through that door on a chair. It was the funniest thing ever. My brother-in-law was a Cardinal fan. Like he was a, I think right, he's like still he was, mad about it. It should have been playing. Like, they ruined Eli Marrero's career. It's like, it's fucking Eli Marrero. Yeah, they, they, uh, they had to cart him off like he was Eddie Murphy and coming to America, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly. I remember it was Mother's Day. We were at a brunch in Arlington Heights, and uh, yeah, Eli Marrero was their catcher, is in right field. So, so uh, yeah, they didn't bring the ambulance on for Eli. That's probably what happened. They're like, remember Eli Marrero. We got to get the actual ambulance. <laughs> Hashtag remember Eli. <laughs> so, yeah, so bye bye he stopped, and, and symbolically, it was kind of the end. I, you know, he was dealt after the season. He he never needed to come back. Uh, pretty much from that moment, uh, veteran Eric Carros, who we referred to, uh, as having been acquired along with Mark Redzelonic for Todd Hundley, as you kind of indicated, Andy. We would have accepted just like a bag of sliders from yeah, White just, Castle. Right. We just for, wanted for, for Hundley. Hundley gone. The fact that we. But got it was nice to have Redzelonic. That could yeah, play was amazing. Rezalonic was a good player, good prospect, had a decent career. He was the first uh, uh, player that Kerry would ever pitched uh, on Easter Day, 1998. And Kerry struck him out, but he good player for the Expos, the Dodgers, and uh, you know, wore out his welcome. And so he gets plugged into the lineup right away. And Karos didn't, which is, you know, could have happened because Dusty was the manager. And, and I think being fans, sometimes you're a little more optimistic about. Uh, what you don't know about the prospects. We were all kind of behind Hesop, and that's, you know, that's who we had. 
uh, shows you what we know. But, of course, Karos has to come into this game and the rest of the season, probably to the Cubs' benefit, as it turns out. But in the game, uh, an inning after Choi gets knocked out, you know, Matsui hits the homer, and it's one nothing. So li- the pitching matchup lives up to it, lives up to the hype. Um, and in the seventh, there's Roger Clemens going for his 300th win. He um, is not going to go the distance. After P- Patterson strikes out to lead off the inning, good old Sammy gets a nice seeing eye single through the hole. And Moises draws a walk. And at that point, Joe Torre feels, well, he, you know, this is such a media fucking circuit. You need it to end. I just need this guy to get a win. And he's not going to go the distance. And so he brings in uh, Juan Acevedo, Juan who Acevedo. I, it's just one of those names. I'm sure Cub, I'm sure Cub fans Juan remember more Acevedo. than Yankee fans. On the first pitch to uh, newly installed Eric Carroll's in what would be uh, – Karros is well second at bat of the game. Clemens struck him out in the uh, fifth while striking out the side. Karros uh, deposited one right in front of us, deep left field uh, off the fence in the left field catwalk, and suddenly the Cubs have a three to one lead. So they hold on, but not before Mike Remlinger comes in uh, in a bases loaded situation, I believe, in the uh, eighth inning. Uh, comes in and has to face Jason Giambi. And strikes him out. Another awesome moment in that game because it could turn. Great moment, sweet. and and Dusty improperly using his bullpen. Remlinger oh. was a lefty, but Remlinger was righties could not hit him, and lefties oh, that's mostly right. handled him. And time, Dusty yeah. would never reverse split him ever. He, he's always like, oh, left-handed. You got to put he was lefties. It's like here, look at the numbers. Just look at them. And he well it worked never, out. Never yeah. do it. In spite of himself, it worked out here uh, because he got Giambi on a 3-2 count. And, yeah, the bases were loaded with two outs. It was still a 3-1 to one game. Cubs got two insurance runs. Uh, Sweaty Joe gave up a leadoff homer to Posada, but otherwise had no problem. Uh, Cubs beat the Yankees for the first time ever. And the best part about it is that the losing pitcher was Roger Clemens. Yeah, very good. Was, uh, was the next night, the Sunday night game? Uh-huh. Mark Pryor. Picked- where they picked Charles Gibson off first base yes, to yes, end the game. Yes. Mark Pryor and I believe Andy Pettit was the matchup. I could be wrong. Another good matchup if I mean, that was the case. Had that been, uh, that's the, the clutchest uh, Cub pickoff uh, before Jose Lobaton. Oh, except, yeah. Except the Cubs didn't go out and ever get Charles Gibson and make okay. him try to play for them like they did Lobaton. Are we sure about that? Okay. Well, it could still happen, maybe. It probably it was. It's probably only in his mid 40s. Yeah, great week. I was actually at a Jewish wedding, and I say a Jewish wedding because, you know, they're very common on Sunday evenings because we – but I was able to catch the end of that game when we got back home because it's Sunday night, and I think I think playoff fever really probably sparked that weekend. I mean, I, I we knew we had possibly had a good team. Things got to break our way. But you take two out of three from the Yankees, you got to feel good. So I think at this point, it's early June. I know we've had 1977, but a lot of us that – that's before our time. And usually when the Cubs up until this point, you know, it's not very, they're playing really well into June. Yeah, usually good things happen. Usually. Usually. So they kind of muddle. No, I don't remember that they played the Orioles next. So I just remember, I think Dave Kelton made his debut then. And in his Ooh. very first plate appearance, Dusty had him try to lay down a bunt. Of course. So I'm going to say there. So got the Dave Kelton reference. <laughs> Carry on. So the the season was you know they were the division had come back to them for the season and so they were contending and they had well 
with Corey still playing, they only, they had one gaping hole in their lineup. They did not have a third baseman. Third baseman. Yeah. And so they were trying everybody there. Mark Bellhorn was playing there. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a shame that Bellhorn didn't work out because he had a breakthrough year the year before playing third. He was a weird money ball, like high on base switch hitter with power. And then, but he just, and he contributed to Boston's title. I think the next year well, possibly or something, yeah. but he, 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 well, he was, the, the, I think he was the opening day third baseman. The irritating thing about it was even with him struggling, he was still a much better option yeah. than Lenny Harris, but Dusty kept giving Lenny starts. Yep. And Lenny was like 38. Right. Wasn't and he? Lenny didn't want to fucking play third base. Lenny just wanted to pinch hit. He's a pitch hit, maybe a corner outfielder in a in a situ, you know, put him on the infield, really, at the hot corner. Come on. So he got him. Uh, he played. Yeah, Lenny played in seventy five games before the Cubs finally released him. Ironically, he ended up with the Marlins, so he won the World Series. Oh, um, and I remember being i i was I was positive that he was going to get a the he was going to get the winning hit in the NLCS against the Cubs. I just knew it was going to happen, and he didn't. But I thought. Yeah, in fact, it was future Cubs got hits like yeah, yeah, yeah. Todd Dunwoody and Todd Hollinsworth. And, yes, yeah, so um, Hollinsworth scoring a run. Yep, yeah, yeah, and and Derek Lee, of course. So they had this huge hole, and finally, Jim Hendry just released Lenny. Lenny was in one eighty three. By the way, Lenny was thirty eight. He had one hundred forty six plate appearances. You might be looking at. You know what his OPS was? Want to guess? Well, I know he's in one eighty three. So, oh God, four eighty four. He was OPS plus was twenty eight. Keep starting that guy. <laughs> Thanks a lot. So we get down also, towards the end of July. And uh, I remember this. It was funny. The trades were announced in a weird. Like now you just you see it on Twitter or whatever. Yes. I distinctly remember Jim Henry in the booth with Chip and Steve. They would do that sometimes. Walking us through the Dropping train. A scoop. Yeah. For, yeah. And it was it was funny because. So they get they get two players in the trade. They get Kenny Lofton and Aramis Ramirez. That's in one trade with Pittsburgh. There were two trades with Pittsburgh, though, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, there was a waiver trade later. Oh, Randall Salmon, yeah. They, uh, and it, everybody's like, so here's, here's Aramis Ramirez, right? One, legitimately one of the best Cub players in history. He really one, is. One of the best third basemen, one of the best, uh, he was one the, of my favorites. And he was the key part of the trade, but he was... He was not the guy everybody was talking about. Oh, Kenny Lofton. We got Kenny. We finally replaced. Yep. You know, they're making a huge deal out of Kenny. And it's like, guys, they didn't make the trade for Kenny. They made the trade for Ramos. And Kenny's come with because they, they yep. need a center fielder. And Kenny at that point was changing teams every year. Yeah. Ramos had come up as like a 20-year-old and I think 19 struggled. when he broke in. Yeah. And he got 650. Yeah. But when he was 23 is the first time he got more than 275 plate appearances and he had 885 OPS in 01 and he was 23 years old. And then he, he, you know, had a, you know, a slump in 02, but still had some numbers. But yeah, I, I remember he was on my radar. I just, I was playing rotisserie baseball. I was, I was excited. I, I, you could tell he had potential just the way he looked. And he contributed immediately, and he would contribute actually. To, he would have a career as long as just about you know most guys that we'd seen, not named yeah. Ryan so Sandberg in, and Sammy Sosa. So in two thousand and one for the Pirates, he was uh, twenty three years old. So yeah, he broke it when he was twenty. He hit three hundred with a three fifty on base, a five thirty six slug, thirty four homers, one hundred twelve RBIs. But then he struggled in 
2002. He only hit 234. He went down to 18 homers and 71 RBIs. And so the Pirates are like, well, clearly this guy is not good. Even though his OPS was back up to 778 in the first few months in 03. Yeah, in 03, he was 280, 330 for them. He actually had better... Um, they, they were giving up on him. He had a better Ooh. batting average and on base for the Pirates than he did the Cubs in 03, but he had much better slugging with the Cubs. And so they just gave up on him. And they're like, all right, you take this guy. And Jim Hendry's like, okay. Yeah. Um, was it like Dave Brubeck? No, not Dave Brubeck. Yeah, not the jazz guy, Dave. It was, it was his son, drummer. Matt. So it was oh, Jose. That's why Jose Hernandez. He yes, was on the O three. Right. And I thought of that as soon as I saw. So that. You, well, yeah, he was in the was correct tree. because they did. We talked about when they dealt Hernandez in ninety. When we did 90, last episode it was nineteen ninety nine. That was the big deal. Jose Hernandez was the, you know, the the the, the prized a nugget that the Cubs had to deal when they got with Joey Nation, Will, yep. and uh, you know the rest of that swag. So he came back, and the Cubs dealt him to really get something in return this time. Yeah, so it was Matt Brubeck, Jose Hernandez, and a player named later who would end up being Bobby Hill. Who was basically, let's complete the trinity, right? Being being prospect hounds and being hopelessly optimistic about the future, it was Corey Patterson, Hesop Choi, and Bobby Hill. Uh, you know, that, that was, that's, that's what our future uh, was that we were excited about. And so it was kind of coming together, at least for Patterson and Choi in 03, until it suddenly wasn't. But uh, Hill was quickly an afterthought anyway. Well, and Bobby was a Bobby was a big deal because the White Sox had drafted yeah. him, and he had so refused to sign. Right. And then two years later, he's back in the draft, and the Cubs drafted him. So would have been that's we were a little bit geeked because it would have been fun if he was awesome with the Cubs because of that. But it ended up he was he was awesome adjacent. He got us a Ramos Ramirez. Yep. So they make yeah, that trade, and at the time. The because everybody was focused on the Kenny Lofton part, it's like I don't know. We're giving up. We're giving up guys, and this team might not really even be in this. Well, the fact that they were getting a 24 year old third baseman, they give who up would play for them for they... a decade. Um, yeah, they, <laughs> even if they had, even if they hadn't contended that year, the trade is a winner. What the hell were the Pirates going to do with Jose Hernandez? Like, who was it? Who would be the guy? Dave Littlefield, uh, Huntington. I couldn't even. I don't know who was making their deals. Was it, was it Sid Thrift? I just. So now we're pretty much ready to talk about the Labor Day weekend, which is, you know, I think the most iconic part of the season. When you talk about how fun the season was, but you don't remember that because of how it ended, but the fun really culminated in the epic five-game series. Five games, of course, because the game earlier had been uh, postponed. And uh, this, and even during this series, I think the weather was a little bit inclement. You know, the first game was on Labor Day. I know it says it started at one twenty, but I have a memory that it was kind of in the evening. It was kind of a, kind of a non-eventful game, just a, kind of a, an appetizer. Uh, prior went against Woody Williams, I think, and uh, and the Cubs rolled. Um, although, well, the, of course, uh, the thing ahead. about this game that irritated me was it interrupted because it interrupted the Jerry Lewis telephone. <laughs> right. I mean. Usually you get the Cubs game out of the way, and then Jerry Lewis gets to continue now, do you for the think, rest of the evening. Do you think Tom Dreesen would refuse to go on during a Cubs game on the Jerry Lewis telephone? I think he had enough enough pull to be like, Jerry, Cubs are on then. GN's not going to be ca- carrying the telethon. My mom's right. not going to be able to see me. you got to book right. me after the game. Plus, i got to watch the game. Ever right. tell you about the time I was a bat boy? 
Jerry, take a load off. Here's a painkiller for you. Um, <laughs> was yeah, that the it, year? Was this the year that Jerry was all hopped up on prednisone there, and his and he had the, head he had was the like the size of a watermelon? <laughs> right. <laughs> I do. I do want to say the telethon may have been going on as late as two thousand. Oh, it was. I guarantee. Was. I remember okay. that. I think the Cubs had to like hurry off. Like GN had to like wrap up coverage. Even though we had this big win, was all excited. We beat the Cardinals the first game of the big yeah. series. They yeah, had to yeah, hurry right. up to get to back to Jerry because on Labor Day the telethon would end like at five o'clock or something, right? Because <laughs> it would go right. Sunday into Monday, and then Jerry by then would be like his tie it would is. be off, and he'd be half in the bag. Right. And they're like, <laughs> "Shit, we got to get to the end of the telethon to get. We got to get the t- big tally at the end." So it's shut up, Chip. Fun. We're going to Jerry. It's- it's kind of funny how much Cub fans in particular probably have these unique memories of the Jerry Lewis telethon because it would every year run into some run headlong somehow into a Cubs broadcast. Because, yeah, either Sunday night know. or Monday or both. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, and I don't even know. Maybe this wasn't even a GN game. Who knows? Maybe Jerry had to work all the way through. Oh, I, but the Cubs- I honestly, I distinctly remember that they went that they went to the telethon after the game. Was that's, that between, a real, that's a real memory of mine. Was was that before or after Mark Pryor had thrown 130 <laughs> some odd pitches in a seven nothing game? Which I I see here. Yeah, he threw Dustin's on. Like, I only, I only, made, I only made him throw eight, dude. I was conserving his arm. So that's a little bit of foreshadowing. So the Cubs take the first game, and this is important because you know going into the series, Cubs have been battling. It's a three horse race. Uh, they come into the series, and they're. Um, well, they're, I think they, yeah, they're in third place coming in. I want to say they, they were they were in third place until and at well even at they the moved end of the into second they, at the end of the series on the right, last day. But 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 they weren't that far. They're only a game and a half game out and of half. first, but uh, or two and a half before this game, and then you know they, they pick up the game. Uh, the double headers the, the next day was I think that was where all the history and all the fireworks went off somewhere during the course of that entire day. Uh, it was a doubleheader, but it was, I believe, the first ever split doubleheader. The Cubs finally got in on that action. I mean, day, day night. Day night, not split doubleheader. Duh. Yeah, day night doubleheader. Instead of just getting two for the price of just one. Think how excited John McDonough was. Right. It's finally, it's come to fruition. So, two games. Yeah, so- Instead of two for one, where you just get, uh, you know, two two for one, you get to watch two games for one ticket. Cubs are going to fill up the ballpark in the middle of a pennant race uh, on Labor Day or the day after Labor Day uh, for the first game, empty it, and then fill it up again, which would be the one game that I would go to, incidentally. I went to the one game they lost that evening. However, what's made things really sort of dramatic and kind of hilarious, considering the Cubs are trying to really cash in on this day-night nonsense, is that the first game – Went what was it, fifteen innings or something like that? It went fifteen innings. It went four hours and forty seven minutes, meaning it it finished at six oh seven. You got an hour. You got an hour. <laughs> got to empty to the get... ballpark, kids. We got a brand new crowd. Thirty eight thousand. Oh, well, let's see. They have the attendance thirty one thousand. It was only thirty one thousand for the day. It was a day game. It was on Tuesday. Yeah, but the 30, night game was the 32. biggest one of the of the series. Yeah, and I was one of the participants, but yeah, so somehow they they had to manage those logistics. Uh, the Cubs win the first two games in the series, so we're feeling good. Well, how did they? How how did Game One end? And that's the other. Yeah, that's a great point because it was one of Sammy's countless walk offs um, that he had hit in his career. Right? Was it, Sam, it was Sammy or Moises? No, it was Sammy. Okay, got um, it. Let's see who did he hit it off of. And he had so many. And he still would. So Woody Williams started that game, 
Jeff Facero. Oh. Augie Ojeda had singled, and then with one out, Sammy Sammy hit a walk-off in the 15th inning. So, so let's see how long how long did Woody pitch because this becomes important later. No, Woody did not. Woody pitched the game before, right? Woody pitched the day oh, before. Oh, you're right. This was Jason Simon-Tachi. Oh, yeah. I remember. Yeah, because Woody had no. pitched. Well, that's what I want to look at. Woody pitched the opener. Um, so I guess. Yeah, on Labor Day. All right, I guess this makes a little more sense when he, when he reappears. Uh, yeah, later. Yeah, so he. Yeah, but in this one, Sammy. Two in a row for the Cubs, and now we're going for the jugular. <sighs> Matt Morris is on the hill. We all loathe Matt Morris. Mouth Matt, breathing Matt there. Morris. I think it was at the end of the season, end of the series, in fact, when uh, he made the incredibly unsportsmanlike comment about uh, considering was it like considering tanking just to keep the Cubs out of the playoffs or something? That's how much he he would literally he said he wanted the Astros his, to make the playoffs. Because he didn't want the Cubs. To yeah, play. if it couldn't be, if it couldn't be them. So yeah, real class guy, Matt Morris. Still good pitcher, objectively pretty good against the Cubs, and he was that night. I think that night will be remembered if any fan remembers it, and I certainly do for my seats in 204 because it didn't happen far from me. But uh, otherwise, it, otherwise insignificant game, other than the fact that in a two nothing loss at one point Moises Alou hit a rope right over the third baseman's head. Uh, and the umpire ruled it foul. It was close. It was before replay. I can't remember if it was really fair or foul. Uh, umpire happened to be standing about 15 feet away from the Cubs' bullpen, which back then, of course, was out in the open along the wall in left field. And uh, his call prompted 12-fingered Antonio Alfonseca to spring from his seat to argue with the umpire. And I think just the force of Antonio propelling itself forward uh, bumped into the umpire. And he was ejected from the game in which he was not even playing. And that was the highlight of that. Was Very it, frustrating loss. Was it Jesse? Is he the one who famously asked Alfonseca if he was born with 12 fingers? Uh, who did you ask who it was? Jesse Rogers. I think you're right. Yes. Yeah. I, and I think you may have recited that recently. <laughs> Alfonseca. Also, also 12 toes. But I'm pretty sure you yes, have to he, be born that way. I don't think they sprout later in Al- life. Alfonseca did nothing with the Cubs good for the most part. He was acquired the year before with Clement, as we mentioned at the beginning. Um, that's pretty much if Alfonseca's highlight. It was kind of comical, his fat belly bouncing out. And it was you know, cute. He was defending the Cubs. We all wanted the Cubs to win. That would turn out to be the only loss in the series. The next day was really kind of, I think, this is probably the day where Larusa and Baker were jawing at each other. I, I don't remember which game, but I hope it, it was probably the next one. I don't know. Yeah, this was the... Uh... Cardinals get two in the first, and then they tack on four in the sixth when um, against Matt Clement. Orlando Palmero walks. Edgar Renneria flies out. Mike Matheny, um, pre-real estate empire. Mike Matheny. Pre-accidentally hitting a hammer into his head. That probably didn't happen. Well, remember he missed the playoffs one year because he cut himself with a hunting knife and the around this time it yeah. might have been the year before. I think he was I trying to commit suicide. Just missed in his hand. <laughs> it's a cover story. Um, Matheny singles. Dan Heron uh, bunts. Future gets those guys over to second, and third. Heron was a youngster too, and then in comes in comes the second greatest Felix in Cubs history. Not Felix Heredia, but Felix Sanchez. Oh and he God. he's end up face Fernando Vina. Got to get him out, and he walks him. Fucking Vina. 
He then, uh, J.D. Drew comes up, left on left, no problem. Uh, grand slam to center field. <laughs> Jesus. So it was comes like down, 6 nothing. 6 nothing, and now he's got to deal with Albert Pujols, who he smartly walks. And then remember when Tino Martinez was a Cardinal? Ah, vaguely. Tino flies out in the inning. So he was I, already a Cardinal by 03. Wow. I would not have guessed that. That was his only one and only year, right? Maybe he hung around. I suppose. He was a flop for them, which was great. Good, um, yeah. That works for us. So Cubs are down 6 nothing. Everyone is everyone at Wrigley is, not only is the game over, but the season's over. The fucking Cardinals have done it to us again. Well, the season's, the, the series is split now, and yeah. it's just We didn't gain any ground, and wah, wah, wah. But Sammy reaches on a ground rule double against former Cub Dan Heron. Future uh, Cub. Oh, yeah, future Cub. He's former now, but yeah. he's future then. Yes. At this point in time. I'm not sure whether the ball ended up uh, in the ivy or in a grate or uh, stuck to a bird's uh, right. beak and it flew off. Yoshi Kawano's pith helmet. Yeah. Uh, then Moises singles in Sammy. Now it's 6-1. to one. Randall <laughs> Simon, who we'll get to in a second, he flies out. I uh, love Randall. Yep. And then Aramis Ramirez hits a home run, and now it's 6-3, to three and Wrigley's a buzz again. Everybody's excited. Alex Gonzalez walks. Oh, I missed a key point here. After Moises singles in Sammy, Jeff Facero back on the mound. He, he's the, the troll. One who, he's the one who gave up the home run to Aramis. <coughs> Wrigley's rocking again. Alex Gonzalez walks. Damian Miller doubles. Alex does oh. not score. Still, there's, there's only one out. Runners at second and third, one out. Here's Karos. He strikes out. Kenny Lofton walks. Bases are loaded. Doug Glanville grounds out to short. So oh. still 6-3. Okay. Doug was already back by then. To make things September. worse, El Pulpo is in to pitch the seventh, and he gives a run back. So now of it's 7-3. And Tony says, all right, it's Russ Springer time. Cubs greet Russ rudely. Sammy walks. Moises hits a home run. Seven to five. Was two Coming outs. Back. Alex back. Gonzalez homers. Now it's seven to six. Love it. Gonzalez used to. Gonzalez had a number. I know he was. Well, he's known for one thing. It's by the fact that it, even in his time, he was known as a defensive uh, whiz. But he had this uncanny ability. I think he's he had like three. I think he's known for three things. He's known for well, the error in Game Six. Yes, which we'll he's talk known about. for that being part of the shirtless shortstop picture. I don't remember that. Sorry. <laughs> and <laughs> I remember the it. fact that he got hit on the forum. Then the year they traded for Nomar, one Correct. of the they did. He got he hit on the forum with the pitch. First base. The, yes. the, the ump. I don't know if did he not, said he didn't get out of the way or didn't hit. I think he thinks it didn't hit him. He broke his arm. He broke his arm on a play in which he did not even earn a trip to first base. I should probably put that in the top three. But I was going to say, excellent defensive shortstop. Uh, that error notwithstanding, just like Leon Durham was an excellent first baseman. But also, he was a low batting average guy, not a good hitter, like shortstops of the 70s, but he had power. And he actually had about three walk-offs in 02 his first year. And he had a, he had a walk-off. Uh, in 03 earlier in the year, I remember it might have been against the Cardinals, in fact, uh, in May. He, he, had, he had big home runs, and this one, of course, pretty huge. So, good, good old number eight. That's um, right. So, Cubs are down six, down seven to six in the eighth. Steve Klein is in a pitch for the Cardinals. God, I hated that guy. Jesus, you just brought back a name that triggered me. I hate that guy. Was, yeah, and Dusty 
plays a little dusty ball. Tony Womack singles. Kenny Lofton bunts him to second. And here's Mark Grudzelanek, who triples to tie the game. Beautiful. Wrigley is up for grabs. And here's Sammy with one out. All he's got to do, hit one deep in the outfield. The Cubs take the lead. They'll they'll wrap it up. It'll be exciting. He yep. pops out to Tino in foul territory. So now it's up to Moises. Right. He comes through. He singles. Grudzelanek scores. Cubs take the lead. And it's sweaty Joe time. He's got to get through the gauntlet of Orlando Palmero, Edgar Renteria, and pinch hitter Jim Edmonds. Oh, come and on, he bring gets, it on. He gets Palmero to fly out. He strikes out Edgar, and he strikes out Edmonds, swinging to end the game. So looking down the barrel, uh, looking down the barrel of a series uh, split. Now they're up three to one. But we're feeling it. Yeah, the curious move by Tony in the eighth. Uh, after Klein, uh, Klein only pitched to Womack and Lofton. Then he brings back game one starter Woody Williams on two days rest. Wow. And he's the one who gave up the triple to Grudzelanek and the single to Moises. Shocker. I mean, come on. This is like the first week in September. Don't you have more arms? Tony, what's, what's he trying to prove there, I wonder? Well, wait till he does that shit in the playoffs for the White Sox. Yeah, good point. Good point. They don't call him the genius for nothing. You know, you mentioned Womack and Lofton back-to-back. I just want to remind you that uh, you made a hilarious observation at this time during the series. As I'm one, by, too. Yes, every every decade or so. And but I make one re- every decade. Remi- reminding us somehow in a, in a cosmic coincidence that in 2001, uh, the Diamondbacks uh, walked off their way to a pennant uh, when Tony Womack hit a series-ending walk-off hit against the Cardinals. And in 2002, I think Kenny Lofton may have done something the same, like a walk-off homer to end the series or something extremely similar. Sure he did. Uh, and it just so happened that they were both on the 2003 Cubs. And so that at that point, all that Dusty had to do was have Womack and Lofton stand on the, the top step of the dugout and wave to Larusa. The Womack hit, I think it was, I think it was the, the DS, not the CS, but um, it's most right. famous for... After he gets the hit, Fox shows his family in the stands, and then they okay. somebody plunks the headset on Tony right down on the field there in the bob, and Joe Buck is interviewing him, and he says, hey, he said, after you got the big hit, we got a great shot of your mom celebrating in the stands, and Tony goes, that's my wife. <laughs> How do you recover from that? <laughs> So now it's I'm sure. now it's game five and it's time to get greedy. Cubs going for the jugular. A, We're a feeling it. September pitching matchup of both teams' aces. I would guess that even though it was a day game, that uh, uh, Fox probably broke into programming just to show it because it was Brett Tomko and Sean Estes. Oh, maybe they didn't. Oh, uh, was I at the game? No, I was not at this game. So no. Cubs capitalize on all their momentum by immediately surrendering two runs in the first. But how how are you not when Bo Hart is leading off for the Cardinals? Three more runs. And then the Cardinals tie it in the seventh. And in the bottom of the seventh, the Cubs take the lead again. So every time the Cubs would every time the Cardinals would take the lead, the Cubs would come back. Which has got to be so disheartening at this point with St. Louis. You've already pissed away a game the day before where you had a 6 nothing lead. You're fighting for your lives. So what a great feeling to be in the Cubs' shoes there. Just They just keep snatching 
snatching it back. And in the seventh, they had taken the lead when Remlinger gave up a single to Mike Matheny. Right-handed hitter. So that would just make Dusty make sure he never did that again. So bottom of the seventh with the Cubs, uh, with it tied, Troy O'Leary grounds out, Moises walks, Aramis gets hit by a pitch, and then the great Tony Womack with a big hit. Just continuing to torture them. And by the way, I looked it up just now. Kenny Lofton did have the ser- this, the series ended on a two-out walk-off single there you go. Uh, in the bottom of the ninth inning. Uh, and that was an LDS um, off of Steve Klein, which is very, very satisfying. And I'm sorry, it was the NLCS, but it was not a game seven, but still. Game five. They, they won that series easily, but so Lofton ends it the year after Womack ends it, and they're all running around the field in this series. So the Cubs take the lead in the seventh. Remlinger and the Farns get through the eighth. Uh, of course, with Remlinger pitching to the only lefty, and then the Farns coming in to pitch to three righties, even though Remlinger gets got righties out better than lefties. Right. Dusty never quite figured that out. And then Sweaty Joe uh, with a... Uh, uh, he faced four batters in the ninth. He got Miguel Cairo, former Cub, who Ed Lynch had lost on waivers. That's uh, right. We talked about that. And then he hit Fernando Vina because it was the only thing Fernando Vina was any good for was getting hit Correct. either by a ball or by Albert Bell. <laughs> right. And then the t- the toughest combo he ever faced, he struck out Kerry Robinson, and he got Orlando Palmero to fly out. And the Cubs had won four or five. It's about as satisfying as it gets. That really kind I mean, of they're a, culminated. They're, in theory, a missed foul fair ball away from a five-game sweep. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So in typical, still- in typical Cub fashion, now they're red hot, and they go to play dead-ass Milwaukee over yep. the weekend. And what do you think they do in those three games? Well, if it was 2021, I would say they get swept. Even one of all. Even 2018. There you go. I was at a wedding that Saturday night. I know it now. Randall Simon, our friend, hit a home run that game. I want to. I guarantee you. But you know what? Before we dive into any of these games in the playoffs, I wanted to circle back so we don't forget it. There was a point in the season, and I remember this, and now it's come back to me, where the season really felt like it was on the brink, and it was in late July, mid-July, somewhere around there, but it was in the Astrodome. Carlos Zambrano was pitching against, uh, I think it was Wade Miller of Houston. And I'm going to try to pull it up real quick because I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, sort of, this is a very significant game in the 2003 season. Cubs enter the game, a game under 500. It's late July. They're about to fade. They're five and a half games out, which was the furthest they'd been out of first place the entire season. As it turned out, they, that was the low point by every metric. Uh, in this game, uh, on, on a Friday night in Houston, it's not going their way. Cubs are losing. Uh, they jump out into Carlos. They get three in the bottom of the first. Cubs scratch one out in the sixth. In the seventh, Carlos Zambrano, our guy, still pitching, still batting, which, you know, credit to Dusty on this one. Hits well, a game if, time. If Lenny Harris had been around, he would <laughs> right. have been hitting. Dusty. Dusty may have burned him earlier for some, like, righty-righty, lefty-lefty. But, no, Zambrano goes yard. And I'm sorry, not the Astrodome. They were in Enron Field yeah. by then. 
and we may not even have been that and I remember sure it was a Minute Maid Park and it was, it was a bomb like he didn't yes. he didn't just he didn't hit like a wall scraper Carlos hit a bomb that's my memory. I would, uh, my country for that video. I wonder if it's out there. It was, just, it turned the season around. It really did. We joke, we, we sarcastically talk about Nafi Perez in 2005 saving the season. Season save. But you really want to look at a point where it could have, they were looking into the abyss, that team. They were game under. They could have faded all the things that, you know, of course, it would have spared us some agony at the end, too, I suppose. But, uh, it was uh, it was huge. Cubs and then the Cubs got two more uh, in the next. They won that uh, that game. I don't. I couldn't even tell you how it went from there. But I already pointed out that they were five and a half games, and that was their low point. So, just wanted to enter that into the record, Your Honor. So, after they went four or five against the Cardinals, and then they have to go to Milwaukee. Do you remember the off the field drama associated with them going to Milwaukee? Yes, I do. The aforementioned Randall Simon, yeah, so, whom the right, Cubs so, acquired after the deadline. I think Randall Simon, a, who was only a Cub because the Cubs had worked out a trade with Texas for Rafael Palmero, and Palmero oh, was blocking right. it because he didn't want he 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 didn't want to go we to the Cubs for one guy. reason. He wanted to stay in Texas long term. He was a free agent to be, and he wanted to re-sign with the Rangers, and he didn't want to leave. And the Rangers kept telling him. We're not going to bring you back. You should go. And he didn't believe them. And then he, so he blocked the trade and then they signed Will Clark in the off season. Right. His old and that's how he ended up. That's how he ended up in Baltimore. So the Cubs still needed a, they wanted a lefty to platoon with Karos because he saw had scrambled his brains. Correct. And so they end up doing a waiver trade for Randall Simon. And earlier in the year, Randall had, had gained some fame for during the Brat race Had in Milwaukee, fun. they run right by the visiting dugout, and Randall pretended like he was going to hit one of them in the head with his bat, and he tapped, he tapped them on the head and knocked a, a girl running in the one of the suits, knocked her on her ass, and he got charged yep. with assault with a deadly weapon in yep. Milwaukee. And so there yeah. was a lot of there was fear that when the now he was a cub and they because the I think the pirates were done with the going to Milwaukee, um, he had to go back to Milwaukee back. and there was fear yeah. they were going to cuff him and haul him off again, and they didn't. I remember that now. <laughs> it was ridiculous. The whole th- I remember how overblown the whole thing was in the first place because he was just having some fun. It's yeah. all he was fucking doing. Take me out to the ball game, God damn it! And and didn't hit the person in the head with a bat. They no, had the top he hit, he heavy, hit, right? He hit the hit the weenie in the head. The actual person's head is like three yeah. feet below that. They're looking through a <laughs> right. hole like in the chest. And she stumbled and blah 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 and this and that and people chuckle and somehow it makes its way to the Milwaukee PD who feel that it must it's serious enough to be now was the at personal. the time was the sheriff in milwaukee it was was that, that guy with stolen valor what is that guy well yeah the asshole with the cowboy hat who pops up yeah, on yeah, fox yeah, yeah. all the time i bet it was yeah yeah it could have been could have been he's so self-loathing that he could probably just because i mean there was like a like a racial element with simon because he was the guy when john rocker had flamed out uh, and this is just a horrible thing to bring up, but it, it happened. It was published, you know, the Sports Illustrated article, uh, and in Rocker's career, of course, his career, of course, uh, justifiably, you know, 
sort of came to came to a halt. But Randall Simon was the player to whom Rocker referred to as like the big fat monkey. I think oh, uh, just horrible stuff. I mean, so however, he wasn't even. He was from Curacao, same country as Andrew Jones. I think yeah. a fun-loving guy, beautiful smile. Uh, you know, whatever. Hey, he's but, Dutch. Like, he's just right. a big happy Dutchman. <laughs> just like Rick Smith. And Burt Blylevin. So, yeah, it was. I felt bad for him. even before he came to the Cubs. Like they're making a, you know, they're they're making a mountain out of a molehill. Guy was just having fun. It was just sad. And so it was perfect justice that he ends up, uh, for his sake at least, in an important role. And he had a number of big hits. I'm going to yeah. jump back to one more game because it's not every year that Mike Donahue gets to see the Cubs in another ballpark. But work happened to bring me down to Houston, not during the Carlos Zambrano series, but a month later. Uh, a weeknight series. The Cubs happened to be in town. I was in Houston, got tickets, uh, and watched Mark Pryor uh, pitch. And that would be Wednesday, August 20th. And I distinctly, I'll never forget what a shot Randall Simon hit in that game uh, to help Pryor lead to, a, I'm sure, a 190-pitch shot. Oh, he only went seven innings hmm. uh, and only threw 100 pitches. Uh, it might have been right after he ran into Marcus Giles. I don't know. But Simon homered in that game. He homered on the game September 6th in Milwaukee, which to bring it full circle is the place where he was, you know, unfairly maligned for having a little fun as a member of the Pirates. Um, and yeah, they they swept they swept Milwaukee, um, and they just, you know, like you said, they had a hot September. And there we are. Yeah, so Randall Simon with the Cubs. Uh, number huge hits, played in thirty three so. games. He had six homers and 21 RBIs as a part-time player. You know, it was only 100, yeah. 110, 103 at bats. Yeah, it, it was Karros' job, and he was only there five weeks. That was pretty good. Interestingly, the um, which Cub pitcher had the highest batting average? And it wasn't Carlos. It was not. He was close. They they could all hit. So was it Pryor or Wood? It was or Pryor. No? Pryor hit 250. Yeah. With a 270 on base, 347 slug, he had a homer and six RBIs. Well, you knew he threw a lot of innings. Cause... Um, and Carlos hit 240 with a 250 on base and 387 slug. So Carlos had 40 points more slugging, so he, he out OPS'd him. But Carlos hit I, two I, homers and six RBIs. Yeah, prior to hit any homers that year. Would hit two homers. Sean Estes hit a homer. What? Yeah. I probably saw it. I don't remember it because I feel like I saw 800 of Sean Estes starts that year. We should. We could probably spend an hour just on Sean Estes' home run. Um, we already covered his game, so we can skip over. It just it happened to be in the final week. When you get the picture, the Cubs are never far behind, never far ahead. And when that happens, and you have one week to go, they're pretty much all important. So it was a huge game in Estes throws the shutout. Cubs still don't have the division clincher. We all we already went over the uh, the clincher. They oh. do. That's spoiler alert. Sean Estes in on in June. Uh, it was a tough luck loser. He did it all against the Phillies. He pitched. Uh, he went seven innings, uh, but he gave up four runs. Struck out seven. But he got out by the great Vicente Padilla. Okay. Yeah, but with, um, let's see, where is it? And his flaring nostrils. Uh, yeah, he uh, he homered off of Padilla in the uh, I guess he didn't really do it all uh, in the third with nobody on, but that was where his home run. Came from. Very exciting. 
before we go to the playoffs, can I ask you, if you remember what significant thing happened the day after the Cubs clinched the division oh, on yes, the of final day of the season? Uh, Kyle Farnsworth came on the field with a Bears jersey with number 44 on it because uh, in Cincinnati, just a few weeks before, he had body slammed Paul Wilson. Okay, actually, the reason Kyle was on the field. <laughs> Another memory that yes. happened in Oh, everything happened in 03. Um, yeah, I mean, we barely, we just barely, we 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 completely glossed over the fact that uh, Dusty ended Pryor's career before we ever knew he did. When Pryor ran yep. into Marcus Giles and Dusty, yep. he he held his shoulder. He was in horrible pain. His, his later in life, his orthopedist would claim that given the shoulder injury that he had, it was clearly caused by a collision. Yep. Um, Dusty yeah, uh, got him up on the mountain and, kept, and had him keep pitching. He was completely he, ineffective. He uh, but he, but no, but he was actually, but he was awesome down the stretch. Yes. I'm not saying that. That just no. It know, was the. I think what happened was the reason all the injuries, his career ended as early as it did was two things: Dusty's chronic overuse of him, but the, also the fact that he had a serious shoulder injury that they did not allow to heal. They kept correct. pitching him through it because he could, and so he did. Yes. Beautiful. <laughs> That's right. Um, Both of those things happened in 2003. You know, right. But the, but the real reason, well. the reason Farns yeah. was on the field was Ron Santo was out on the field pointing to his flag saying, this is my Hall of Fame. This is my Hall of Fame. Yes. And got yes. Him and Bruce Kim got good old number 10 retired. And I'm sure Leon Durham. And Leon Durham. <laughs> and Luis Salazar and Lloyd McClendon. A nice feel good, even if I if I could remove all uh, tendencies I have for cynicism. A nice timely moment. It didn't interfere because the Cubs had clinched it. If they, I'd be super annoyed if the Cubs needed to win that day. Um, it, it was a it was a beautiful, perfect thing. It, everything kind of felt like it was lining up. And at this point, there was their first division title in 14 years because '98 had uh, been a wild card season. You know, we don't have a lot of experience with it. We still never win a series. So, hey, let's go. Well, they, you know, they, so they clinched the day before and the double, by sweeping the doubleheader and with Wes Obermuller uh, winning uh, yes. for Milwaukee and, and Houston. And beating Ryan Vogel. But Vogelsong. what must have pissed John McDonough off was that was a straight doubleheader. One gate. <laughs> Two games for the price of one, and you get to see the Cubs clinch a playoff spot. An old-fashioned doubleheader. I was uh, at a bachelor party that day that included a, started with a golf outing, and uh, it was a blast. The bachelor party was actually for a guy who would get married a couple weeks later who was a diehard Sox fan, which I might come back to that if we don't like approach a three-hour mark here. But uh, following the game on the radio and then catching part of it in the clubhouse, uh, they clinched and won the division the same day. So if you were at Wrigley Field that day, I salute you. It's quite a moment. So it's it's pretty ironic that you know, the Cubs go to the playoffs. They get the mighty 103-win Braves. They're, you know, they got to take on Chipper Jones and uh, Mark DeRosa. Hey, all the greats. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, the pitching staff of Smoltz, Glavin, and no Glavin. Remember, Cubs already pounded Glavin's ears right. back with the Mets this year. Glavin was gone. They did have Russ Ortiz, coincidentally, the guy from whose hand Dusty took the ball uh, the previous October um, when he could That's have right. uh, let him finish. I think I think you'll agree. I probably shouldn't say that, but uh, that series, Kerry Wood's finest moment as a Cub. Beautiful. He yeah. shoved in game one and game he five. He shoved history up its ass is what he did. 
And so the, the Cubs win their first postseason series since 1908. Yep. And, and that series is a engaged. complete afterthought. It was yeah. It was another, awesome. Another it was it, they yeah. did yeah. shit in that series that you never thought you would see the Cubs do. Um, yep. You know they go they go down there and they immediately take game one. Russ Ortiz is the game one starter. Bobby Cox did that on purpose. They set his rotation up. They didn't clinch on the last day. He, they they had clinched. And he decided Russ was his best option. Was he just being cute? It was his first year without Glavin. Well, that's right. Glavin was gone, gone. I don't know. Well, he Smoltz pitched game two and prior pitched game three. Um, Against Maddox. And he yeah. also had Mike Hampton because he pitched game five. He was stacked. It seems like a cute move by Fox, which is, or by Cox, which, you know. Yeah. Got so, well, I won't say it. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know what he would have been thinking. Yeah, you're right because the Cubs, the Cubs almost didn't have a choice. Like in 1998, I think Russ Mark won 18 Clark games that year. I could probably look that up, but I mean, why bother? No, it's you so know he probably did it on purpose, and then he was going to have Maddox pitch game three and, at Wrigley, and probably thought, ah, it'll be fun when we sweep, and all the Cub fans can <laughs> suck on it. Yeah. Um, Which would have been the second time that would have happened because Maddox beat them to close their playoffs. He's not the last time they'd been in the playoffs. This, so this is the second consecutive time the Cubs are playing the Braves in the playoffs. But now the Cubs Braves. don't necessarily have their rotation in order because they didn't clinch till the second to last day. They do have Kerry going in game one, but they don't have Pryor until game three. And he was their Pryor was their best pitcher. He's the guy who would have pitched game one if they could have. Yep. Um, but they didn't have that, bad choices because they had Carlos yep. pitch game two. Although, Although he, in retrospect, he Carlos spent that game giving up. Gas. He, yeah. yeah, spent that game backing up home a lot. He gave up eleven hits in five innings. Yeah, yeah, Carlos. I think uh, Carlos was really the youngest. I, all eyes were on Pryor and Wood. Carlos had a really fine season. I think he was a little bit out of gas though in the playoffs. He didn't really do much memorable. But even so. at that, so he gives up eleven hits, but he only gives up what three runs. Yep. So the, the Cubs are in it, and they actually tie the game. In, when was that, the 8th? Yes. They tie the game in the 8th. Um, they're down a run. Smoltz is in, still in. Ramos flies out. Karos singles. Um, Doug Glanville runs for Karos. Randall Simon pinch hits. He singles. Now you got runners at first and third. Tom Goodwin, speedy Tom Goodwin hits into a double play. Um, oh, this had to be one where... It was a sack fly double play. I don't remember this. No. Um, he flies out yeah, to did... center and then. Um... So who's running it? Let's see. So Glanville? How the hell did this happen? All right, I got to take a second here to figure this out. So we've got. Oh no! Glanville pinch runs for Karos, and then Simon is on first base. Tom and um, okay, so we get a double play. Simon is out. Eight to five to four. God knows what he was doing. (laughs) Um, But the run, but Glanville scored, so the Cubs have tied it, and we go to the bottom of the eighth. And that, in you know, we we talk all the time about Dusty overusing his starters. Uh, Part of the reason he did was he had a didn't have much of a bullpen. <laughs> he didn't. In, in the in eighth, his defense. Dave Beers is in. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I don't remember that game with, with, with those particulars that it was that close that late. You know, kind of in retrospect, it kind of just felt like that's a game they didn't win. 
I, I only wanted to mention also back to that game one. It was actually they were trailing in the sixth inning, one nothing, uh, and tied it on a Gabor Grana. And then you might remember, I'm sure you remember this, but this that was the game which Wood in the sixth inning, which I forgot, hit a two run, uh, basically game winning double in the sixth. Yeah. Uh, well, that yeah. was so, and in that series, Fox kept showing his wife in the up in the box, and so we kept, and she was just it like she was just like clapping, like right in front, you know. Hey. So we were, we just kept typing, "Wee!" <laughs> We'd be yeah. like, "Oh, whatever his wife." Kind of became a thing. What is this wife, Sarah? So we'd be like, yes. "Sarah would wee," and then they literally said in the D in the CS they would not show her because uh, they got. Um, the Cubs can play. Teased. Yeah. Well, you know. But, you know, they're battling Atlanta and it comes down to the Friday night at Wrigley. And well, no. So uh, we got to gotta close the circle here in game two. Oh, I'm Beers sorry. Beers comes in. The Cubs have just tied it. Everyone's very excited until he comes in. And um, he gets quick out. The immortal Julio Franco, who at this point is in his mid 70s. Correct. Yeah. Uh, he grounds he out, but then he walks Vinny Castilla. Wow. John Smoltz, still pitching. Vinny was with Atlanta. Still pitching. Bats for himself. Still batting for himself. But he, because he's going to sacrifice bunt, he bunts. Pinch runner, uh, Jesse Garcia goes to second. The Galaxy Brain Dusty intentionally walks Rafael for call to get to Mark DeRosa. And, of course, you don't don't pitch to Mark DeRosa in a big spot. DeRosa doubles. Uh, The pinch runner, Garcia, scores. Uh... Rafael Forcal scores. And now the Cubs are down 5-3, to three, and John Smoltz trots out. Goes, goes and he goes 1-2-3 in the ninth. And the That's series old is school. tied. You'll never see a game like that today, the fact that Smoltz stayed in for himself, the fact that he gave up three runs. It's a 5-3 to three game. I don't uh, – Well, all right. Yeah, we're giving him weights. Actually, this is terrible. He was their closer by then. Mike Hampton started. Oh, duh. Nah, that's so my, that's my bad. That's I looked right. up and saw that he won. That up. So uh, Hampton started. He pitched. He only gave up two runs in six innings. Uh, Ray King pitched a one batter. Burger one. King. We Ke- talked about him. Wow. Kevin Grabowski. He yep. pitched an inning against Smoltz. But uh, they brought Smoltz in. Smoltz ended up blowing the save because with the double play. But then it still is a big deal. The Cox left him in. He bunted. And then he well, came back. Was, to, you can see the benefit the of having, having a closer come in. Who's recently been a starter? They can handle the bat. So, all right. So uh, so that was that. That was the Hampton start. No, that's cool. I mean, now we get to the 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 long-awaited, much-anticipated Friday night at Wrigley. Yep. So, and kind of funny that in two consecutive playoff games just happened to be uh, five years apart. Greg Maddox starts for the Braves against the Cubs, having closed out the only game in the '98 LDS. Um, now the after five long years, it's back and former Cub, for, former Cub, Greg Maddox is back. This time he's facing Mark Pryor. Last time it was Kerry Wood, and this is maybe when you start feeling that our fortunes are changing. Now the big difference Maddox between between the Maddox start in '98 and in 2003 is that this time, while he's pitching to a young Cubs against a young Cubs ace, this time the ace doesn't have a torn. Uh, <laughs> ulnar collateral ligament. He has a torn shoulder, fact, but not an ulnar collateral fact, ligament. The fact that Wood went five innings in '98 just 
seems yeah. increasingly insane through the years. So Greggy, who gets a but lot no, of we shit. had prior now. Now to 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 to, ba- to put some balm on our wound, right? We had, we had prior. So yeah. Greggy gets a lot of undeserved shit for not being a good postseason pitcher. He had some well documented, not good games, like correct one in Philly for the Braves, and then one we all remember for the Cubs against the Giants. But his and numbers, when you look at him in the postseason, they're pretty damn good. They he, even out. He goes six innings. He only gives up two runs. But the problem is, Mark Pryor is having none of it. He goes, the, it. He it. goes the route. He only gives up two hits. He allows one run, strikes out seven. And the Cubs have the lead, and, all, and uh, they can win the series, their first postseason series, in 95 years. That's it. The next night. At Wrigley Field. At Wrigley Field. Never... Mm-hmm. And they're sending Matt Clement to the mound. Yes. Against Russ Ortiz. Okay, so a little redemption uh, Ortiz is hoping for. Uh, everyone was amped up. And People Cubs... like our friend Chuck will get furious because the Cubs didn't win because I think he was there. But, you know. And the Cubs take an early lead. In the third, uh, Moises doubles in Sammy, and they're up one nothing. So now you just need a, you need a shutdown inning from your boy Matt Clement, and you don't get it. Yeah, um, Matt. Uh, I don't think he was always up for the moment. I feel in the top of the fourth, strikes out Andrew Jones, Julio Franco walks, Vinny Castilla singles, and then Darren Bragg drives in a run on a ground out. Darren With his Bragg, annoying two two Gs. Yeah. <laughs> He gives up three more in the fifth on a uh, two-run homer to Chipper Jones, as Sean Dunstan always pronounced it like it was one word, Chipper Jones. And then Vinny Castilla drives in a run, and uh, that's, let's see, they end up yeah. going up. Let's see, the Cubs get a run back. Uh, oh, well, guess who pitched for the Braves in this one? One of the most handsome Cubs of all time. Do you remember Will Canane? I Dude, didn't he we looked, talk about Will Kinane on this podcast? He, he, he looks, looks like a serial killer or something. Well, he looks just like the kid from Deliverance. That's it. Exactly. No, we talked. We, like, you can you put a banjo in Will Kinane's hands, and you've got him. <laughs> yes, he's actually been brought up in that context. I love it. Um, but Will Kinane, in his one inning, pitching with a four-run lead, gives up a home run to Eric Karros. Well, there's but a that, feather in his cap. Uh, and then the Cubs score again. They get another run off of Smoltz in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, okay. Damian Miller. Nail down another one. Drives in Randall Simon. Uh, all right. So they make it interesting. It. These, are all cl- these are all close games. And I think also it's kind of wild to think about that. This, of course, is the closest the Cubs had been since 1984. Yeah. And, of- closing out a series I, the first time they were even in a position to do so at Wrigley Field. I distinctly remember feeling like they were screwed. Like After they lost. You, right, got, right. you had to win that game at this home. Now it. you've got to get on the plane. I don't think there was even a day off. I think they just played you, the next night. You're, you are correct. They played you get on, on the plane. You go to Atlanta. The fucking Braves are going to shove it up your ass. And it's going right. to be like, oh, we were so close again. And at this right. point, then, we were at the... Um, well, let's see. They, so I, it, it wasn't that much. They had lost their third. That was their third straight, fourth, fourth straight loss with a chance to win a series. They had That's right. lost all three in, in yeah, San Diego. Yeah, just wait a few weeks, right? And it's like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah, um, no. 
it's it, it crept in. Atlanta was uh, royalty. Um, we had your chance. The, we all felt it, even if we didn't want to say it. You were actually probably, in, in truth, trying to rally everybody's in this bullshit. They're going to win it. But, of course, I don't think you wrote on the weekend. So this is between oh, a I would have. I would have done it during the playoffs. And I'm sure I was full of bullshit about, oh, it's going to be fine. Even though it, in reality, I'm like, oh. But it was. It's it going to be a disaster. It's, it's it's almost in some ways, honestly, I don't want to be dramatic here, but what they were to pull off the next day is almost as huge as what they pulled off in 2016. You could maybe even make the argument was huger. Just to, just to close out a fucking series, it's, it's the lowest of bars, but, you know, it, that built up on them as much as the series did, I think. Well, one honestly. of the things they did in this entire playoff run, which what good teams do is they, t- they tended to score first. And it seems it, that way. And it was a big deal You're in right. game five because uh, Kenny Lofton doubled to start the game. And then Moises drives him in. And so now, even before Kerry gets to the mound, he's got a lead. Yeah. And Kerry was more than up to the task on that he day. Was in fact, it. they added another run. Alex Gonzalez had a home run in the second. So he's up 2 oh, nothing, And it stayed that way until the sixth. When Aramis made it four nothing with a two run homer, so feeling it, still you know things can go sideways. You got to consider the psyche of the Cubs fan at this point in time. Yeah. Kerry gave one back in the sixth, but it was on a it was on a ground out. So uh, Sheffield drove in a run, but with an out, yep. there wasn't anybody left on base after that. Uh, and it go it goes four to one all the way to the top of the ninth when the handsome Will Canane comes back in. And he gives up another run. In fact, he gives up two. Uh, Tom Goodwin doubles, and Eric Karros and Alex Gonzalez both score. The Cubs are up. No, he gives up. Wait a minute. Uh, no, just oh, no, Gonzalez goes there. Just Karros scored. So it's 5-1. Yep. to one. And then Dusty feels like at that point, it's safe to give the ball to Sweaty Joe. Yep. Yeah, he did it. Like, we saw it happen in... We're probably at very well, and Joe, of not only does he do it, he comes in and he faces Chipper Jones, Javi Lopez, and Andrew Jones. Perennial All-Stars, and uh, they one go, Hall of Famer, and an arguable second Hall of Famer. And they go fly out, strike out swinging, strike out swinging. Yeah. I mean, Andrew struck out a lot, so it per- he set it up perfectly. So um, who, you, in the Hall of Fame podcast, you remembered who had recorded the final out Yep. in 08. Orville overall. Or, so it went from Orville overall all the way to Joe Borowski. Yes, it yes. did. Before anybody, before another Cub would do that. Just a series, which of course was the series till 1969. But just, and you know, now, you know, now from 69 to 03, we're 34 years into multiple tiers. At some point, the law of averages would seem to dictate uh, that you'd win one. But of course, this is only the fourth time that the Cubs have made the playoffs, but it had some serious heartache. Really had a scramble, really had a fight, but you know what? They had Kerry Wood, and you hit it on the head. I mean, this is really, this was really it for Kerry Wood, man, and should never be forgotten, obviously. So, I re- I distinctly remember at so the Giants had had a really good record, but I distinctly remember at some point games. Er- early in that series against the Marlins, thinking we really need the Giants to win because the Marlins are good. Maybe. And it would be easier to beat the Giants, even with their ridiculous record. Because the Marlins were, you know, they were the wild card. 
97 and in 03. Yeah, this and, season. But they when they fired Jeff Torborg during the season and brought in Jack McKeon, a 70 they may very old. well have had the best record in baseball from that point on. Like, this okay. was not – the Cubs weren't running into, oh, it's the expansion team that, you know, they won the World Series and then no. tore everything down. And this was a really good team. And they'd added – they brought up Miguel Cabrera, which is ridiculous that he's still playing. Um and, and ridiculous that he produced how he did for them. Yeah. He was he was like young and skinny and athletic and yeah. yeah he played third base I think. Um, Don Trell like like they just is like in a flash a lot of these young players well, sort then, of arrived. Before yeah, and then the, the guy who doomed the Cubs ended up being Josh Beckett, who while yep. completely hungover pitched yeah a long time was, in Game Seven. The, yeah, it was Beckett's destiny, I think, in retrospect. Um, but a lot happened to get to help get him there. Let's say. So, game one is I mean, obviously game six is the one that got away because we saw it. But game one was just it hurt was just, just as, as bad a loss. They Carlos is pitching, although as you said, we realize now that Carlos was completely out of gas. Yep. But the Cubs score. F- the wind was it was hot and the wind was blowing out, even though it was uh, October seventh. Um, yeah, and Beckett was pitching for the for the Marlins. The Cubs jumped Be- all got, over him. He got lit up, and they scored four runs in the first inning. Lofton walked, Gretzelanik tripled. Lofton scored. Obviously, hard not to score. Then Moises hit a homer, and then Alex Gonzalez drove in another run later in the inning. So another up four nothing, and you're thinking, all right, this is pretty good. And Carlos, it's kind of nuts. Carlos gets through the second without any issue. But in the third, uh, not so good. He gets yeah. Beckett out, but then the great Juan Pierre, who I'm sure spent pregame rolling his balls uh, down the foul lines, as Len Casper liked to say that he did. As was his wife, yeah. Uh, he tripled. Was it Castillo walked. Uh-huh. Pudge Rodriguez hits a three-run homer. Now it's four to three. Derek yeah. Lee it was strikes pretty- out. But then we get back-to-back homers from Miguel Cabrera and Juan Encarnacion. And so now the Cubs are losing five to four, but this Which game would wild, only get right. crazier. It would swing. Um, yeah, wild swings. Carlos still pitching in the sixth, and it's still it's a one run game, and he gives up this this is excellent manage, managing by Dusty here. One run, a run run lead, and uh, Miguel Cabrera singles. Encarnacion singles. Then Carlos throws a pass ball. Now the runners the second and third. Conine comes up, hits a sack fly. Then Alex Gonzalez fouls out, and then Josh Beckett strikes out. You would think that at some point in there you take Carlos out. but uh, I don't think that was the thinking at the time. Certainly not with Dusty. but No, not with Dusty. I cheated and look, Carlos only threw 101 pitches in the whole outing. I mean, you know, well, it was nine six hits six. and six. He may, yeah, probably should have been taken out just because he was getting hit, but he just had that one bad inning, really. I, I seem to remember, just felt like he was giving up lasers. Yeah. Uh, but Alex Gonzalez, it's a two run homer in the sixth, you. and he ties the game. And now Dusty's like, okay, so he goes to Remlinger because we got lefties coming up. Uh, he gets Pierre out. Even though, even though. <laughs> uh, but Castillo singles. Now the righties are coming up, so you got to get uh, Remlinger out and go with the Farns. 
Um, but it works. And he strikes out Pudge and Lee. I should add the Farns had a hell of a year in all three. He was like the the, the Steve Traxel of relievers, and it just happened to fall on his good year. So, so we're tied at six in the ninth, and Dusty actually he does the right thing, goes to the closer because why? You know, you're at home. If, if you once yeah. you get to the ninth, if you score, you win. So you might as well use your closer. Um, but with one out, uh, Todd Hollinsworth doubles. Juan Pierre walks. There's an error on. Curse him. Grezelonic? Is he just playing second? I would have to assume so. There's no reason to take him out. Uh, yeah, it's still Grezelonic. Error on Grezelonic. Worst error of the whole series. Well, maybe not. Yeah, it's slipping away. <laughs> Worst error. <laughs> so then Pudge singles. He drives in two runs. He drives in Hollinsworth and, and Juan Pierre. And the. Um, so now the Marlins are going to go to Yugi Urbina. And Which, this was a big you know, deal because the Cubs had been trying to shore up their bullpen at the trade deadline, and they, were, they kept being rumored that they were going to trade for Urbina, who I don't even—he may have even been a waiver trade. I don't even know if he got traded at the deadline. Well, he was a kind of a top reliever, yeah. though, right, for a couple of years around this he time. He did that. He did that weird thing on the mound where he would like pull his sleeves up so you could see his guns, and right, and then, and then, he then would, also swing machetes at people. Yeah, and then he would kill season. kill people on his property with a machete. He's a badass. So he comes in and he's just gonna he's gonna nail things down. The Cubs are gonna be down uh, one nothing, and so he gets Damian Miller. Yep. But Kenny, but Lofton doubles. Grezelanik grounds out, and then with um, so with two outs, down two in the bottom of the ninth. It's a capstone to his career. Probably one of the single most um, astonishing home runs in Wrigley Field history. No offense to Gabby Hartnett. Or and there's great, whatever. They're, they're, it's almost great footage. So Santo, even though he retired his number on the last day, is back in the hospital. I don't know if it was his bladder Correct. cancer. It he, was something bad. He, he had so little faith in the Cubs that he was not scheduled to be in the booth. Um, Steve Stone, so I think Steve Stone is filling call. in, and there's great uh, – I, I know I can find the call because it's easy to find. Uh, there's a great uh, call of, for Pat Hughes and Steve Stone. And basically, Steve, who I give a lot of shit because <clears throat> he he always predicted the same thing was if you know slider o two or one two a slider in the dirt and then act like a genius when it happens because they pitchers throw it all the time. You talk enough, you'll make some good observations. But he basically he, he basically did. says, and maybe he says it after. I think he says it before. He does. Um, Rubina throws the fastball right by Sammy, and then basically, and then he throws him a slider, and Sammy hits it. He crushes 500 it. feet to left field to tie the game. And Wrigley just goes completely nuts. It's so nuts. insane. It's, 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 it's like old Wrigley field. The bleachers aren't so huge. And uh, beginning with that home run chase that we talked about, 98, like sometimes you would see a sea of people. And it was more intensified in 2003. Frankly, kind of idiotic. I mean, if you want to see the game, yeah, especially in 2003, down on the nobody, street. You, don't, you don't have a phone that you can look at it on unless you've got like a Sony, you know, watchman. Mm-hmm. Um but it was a C. It was like, it was it was so deep. It was from the wall all the way to the sidewalk across the street on Sheffield, or I'm sorry, on Waveland, and and and, and the Sosa just buries that pitch from Urbina into that crowd right. outside and, the ballpark. So Stone is incredulous that he would throw a slider to a guy who was that late on your fastball. He's not wrong. 
Um, but that you're right. That those scenes were crazy. And then whenever anything would happen, you would just see like cups flying in the air and beers going everywhere. Yeah. And this, of course, is from the fan base. That is, uh, Chris Russo correctly pointed out, um, never booed Javi because Cub fans just don't really care. Right. Yeah. Even though he got booed for getting doubled off this season. Yes. Uh, that's right. With one out. Um. Yeah. I. So I was at the game the next, or they lose. So well, let's finish the the game here. Yeah, because it gets there's a there is again, a Sammy, there's a Sammy, tragic thing that happens. Uh, there is here. Sammy pulls the Cubs fed out of the fire with with of all the incredible home runs he's hit. Right, he's and then tops the list. So Dusty leaves Joe in to pitch the tenth, and he goes one two three through the Marlins. So now the Cubs are up with a chance to walk it off, uh, take a one nothing lead in the series, and they have Aramis, Randall Simon, and Alex Gonzalez coming up, and Oogie stays in. And nothing happens. Ramos flies out. Simon and Gonzalez both strike out swinging. So now we get to the 11th. And um, the the pitcher spot is due up. And Dusty goes to lefty Mark Guthrie because he's afraid that he, he's, he's sure they're going to go with Lenny Harris. And he wants yep. to have a lefty to pitch to Lenny. Well, well and they on the Lenny bench... Up was yep. one of the Marlins' best players, Mike Lowell, who'd been hurt but was now back and had lost his third Available base spot at least for the playoffs hit. to Miguel Cabrera. So he comes up to hit, and now he's facing Mark Guthrie, and he has yep. a fucking home run. He hit, and he hit it into the basket, but he hit it out nonetheless. Um, and Now, I don't know. Maybe the alternative would have been he had to go to El Pulpo after that movie. That's who would have started it, and he did not. he didn't cloak himself in brilliance, but he got out of it. He gave up a... Single to Castillo. Uh, they walked. Yeah. He, Castillo stole. Pudge came in, or they intentionally walked Pudge then. Uh, Lee walked to load the bases, and Cabrera lined into a double play. Yeah, they got uh, out of it, and that was it. And then, but frustrating. Just so on the one, 11th, two, the Cubs, I don't know how they didn't mount a rally uh, with this uh, group coming up. And the 11th, with Braden Looper pitching for the Marlins. Ramon Martinez and Damian Miller make outs, and then Kenny grounded out with uh, with two outs in the eleventh. So now the this Cubs are down one game to nothing. And if you think that one's frustrating, the next game yes. is even more frustrating. Let me for take the this dumbest over. possible reason. Two things. First of all, I went to this game, and I did not go to the, any of the Braves games because I was out of town. And the only other playoff game I had been was the Maddox Wood game in '98. So I'm 0-1, and in this game, the Cubs actually rocked the shit out of, I think, Brad Penny Brad was Penny. the starter. Alyssa Milano's boy, boyfriend at the time. So in consecutive at-bats, Sosa hits the most iconic homer that he's ever hit the day before. First time up in this one, he hits, I think, what might arguably be the, the, the longest home run he ever hit that nearly, and I, this might be harder to find on YouTube, uh, but it, I f- feel like it almost hit the camera in center field, which nobody's ever done. So it shows you just what on a roll fucking Sosa was, even though he was, you know, kind of reaching the end, uh, really had a flair for the dramatic, but they jump out on, on Penny in the first. Um, and it's, you know, they, they roll, right? I mean, the game is, it, it's a laugher. We it's, know this even with all, all of our fear of jinxing the Cubs. Uh, I don't know if Sammy hit his homer in the first or in early second. in the game. Hit in the second. It inning. was Se- in the second. Well, because he, he got out. to, he walked in the first inning. He got to bat twice in the first. Yes, time. in the two. So, yeah. well, the Cubs uh, score. So th- Cubs score two in the first, three in the second, three yep. in the third, and three yep. in the fifth. 
So eleven. So it's eleven. Eleven to nothing so in the eleven fifth nothing inning. after five full innings. Don't know what Mark, Mark Perry's pitch count was at five innings. Doesn't matter. I will say though that Dusty trotted him out two more innings. Yep. It took the Cubs scoring maybe another run in the um, what was it? in the six, uh, after he did give up some runs. I guess you know that maybe Dusty finally got alarmed. Cubs got one back, but even after that, he pitches the seventh inning. Well, it's insane. 116 yeah, so with the Cubs up, uh, the Cubs up 11 to nothing in the sixth. He leaves Pryor in, and Pryor gives up back-to-back homers to start the inning to Lee and Cabrera. In the sixth. Yep. In the sixth, and Pryor finishes the inning. And still, and the Cubs and get another run. Yep. Then Alex Gonzalez hits another home run. Wow, Gonzo is going off. Yeah, had the Cubs teams. hung on, it was going to be a. Um, the the decision for NLCS MVP was either going to be Sammy or Alex Gonzalez. Yeah, they would have given it to Sammy, but Alex is making an argument in the first two games. And Kenny had a really good series too. But I think I think we at the time because we were predicting it because they were you know they were cruising to the win in Game Six. Well, it was going to be point. Sammy. Yeah, that's right. Um, so they, then Pryor has to come back out for the seventh for some unknown reason, and he makes <laughs> it's just he throws ten more unnecessary pitches, but he goes one, two, three through Mike Mordecai, Juan Pierre, and Luis Castillo. Thank Christ, he could have been up to one hundred and thirty in this game. The, the game was a laugher. Yeah, so the was, Cubs the Cubs win that one twelve to three, and a, a game where a where a savvy manager uh, takes his ace out after five, preserve says, his resources. He says, "We know we're gonna we're, we're most likely gonna have to get well. It's they're it's they're up two one. No, it's one one. You know you're gonna yeah. have to pitch him again. He's absolutely gonna pitch again in the series. So you sit him like, all right, we'll save some bullets for you for your next start. Yeah, he could have been out of that game at like eighty pitches." But you not know. the dust bag. Yeah, he's already pitched way more than he's ever pitched ever, by far. <laughs> I mean, the, the year before when he got called up, he pulled a hammy or something and didn't even pitch in September. Yep. He uh, he was way he was beyond his reach and. Um, well, and when he had when he had gotten drafted, they didn't he didn't pitch at all because they so, felt like right. he had already met his workload at USC. Yeah, so he only chill. pitched part of he, 02 in the minors. He may, he may have done some rookie ball, may, maybe not even did that. Yeah, 02, and then he got called up and then didn't even pitch September. So, so here, yeah, we're a year later, and he's just getting, he's like a thoroughbred that's just got the, you know, the so now, slash marks from the whip. I, I'll link to this because it's, it's, it's a free post on pointless exercise. And, and of course, Linking to Sammy's homer off of Urbina in game one, although he's probably done it multiple times already, is probably a must. Well, so NLCS game three in 2003 is one epic, of... Epic, yeah, epic. It's, it's one of the coolest games in Cup history. And so I did a... Um, I went back and rewatched it during the pandemic and did a blow-by-blow rewatch of it. So that's the thing that I will link to. Uh, but it's the game when, I think for the first time, most of us were convinced that they were actually going to go to the World Series because they won 100%. a game that they never would have won before. 100%. It was the 100%. sign that we were all looking for. Turned a corner. Because they um, they get the lead, they blow the lead twice. And then and, and then, but not without another weird play to end it that felt like in the midst of it was another another thing. So this is a it's a Kerry Wood game. Kerry Wood game. He goes six and two thirds. He, he gives up seven hits, but only three runs. Uh, he leaves with the lead, 
and um, Sweaty Joe is entrusted. Farns goes to the scoreless inning, and then Sweaty Joe comes in to get the save, and Sweaty Joe blows the save. And Sweaty Joe really had a good playoffs. Other he than was due to, he was due to blow. Other on. than I this, that. yep. Uh, but then I was he, watching. He he pulls his he girds up his loins, and he gets a lot of huge outs after he blows the save. That's right. That's right. Because this is actually kind of ridiculous. He actually so in the eighth, he blows the it lead. Came, he blows the lead in the eighth, and he, it's mostly Farns' fault. Yeah. Um, the Cubs are up four to three in the bottom of the eighth, and they're just trying to go Farnsworth through the eighth to go to Joe in the ninth. Um, Farnsworth gives up a single to Cabrera. Mordecai bunts him up to second. I guess it's not that much his fault. Conine makes an out. No, he, he, then he didn't he, walk anybody. Then Dusty goes uh, with Hollinsworth coming up. Dusty goes to Joe. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, but who was fucking Hollinsworth? Hollinsworth. Or Hollinsworth pinch hit. Seabass was supposed to be Seabass. The yeah. other Alex Gonzalez. That's right. That's right, kids. There were two Alex Gonzalez's playing shortstop in this series. So Holly gets a single to tie the game. And with now we're all depressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's still is tied. The Cubs come up in the ninth with a chance to take the lead. And Oogie's in again. And here's Oogie and Sammy. And then this time Sammy strikes out. Yeah. Cubs go down one, two, three. So the bottom of the ninth, Joe is back out there and things don't start well for him. He gives up a single to Juan Pierre. Luis Castillo bunts him to second because nothing Dusty and Jack McKeon like more than giving away outs. (laughs) A lot of coaches back then. Um, Actually, the bunt was really stupid because then it it freed up first base and the Cubs walked the super hot. Rodriguez. He was, and Rodriguez probably was MVP. I, I don't remember, but he was, I just remember he was beating us over the head all series. So, yeah, it was, it was welcome. And similarly, Derek Lee was struggling till the very yeah. end. And Lee flies out uh, with runners at first and second and two outs. Two yeah. outs. Juan Pierre steals third. Then Joe walks Cabrera. So now the bases are loaded. But Mike Mordecai's up, and he flies out. So we go to the bottom of the 10th, and the Cubs have, listen to this. I don't know how Ugi didn't give up multiple runs to Ramon Martinez, Alex Gonzalez, and Paul Baco. Oh, bunch of dusty guys. Nice job. So we're down to the 10th. Who's pitching for the Cubs? It's still Joe. God bless him. They blew the save, but he's he's girding his line. He gets Conine but, out, but then Dusty shits his pants. And because, of course, we're Cub fans, right? And like you said, this is the game where we turn the corner, but at this moment in time, we are absolutely exhausted because every moment we're expecting it to just finish. I was at the Wild Goose on Lincoln Avenue with my former boss. I remember watching this game and just it just, it was agony at this point that you're going through here because especially they're on the road, the game can end at any moment. We live through Steve Garvey. It's like, well, and we knew that, how this, we knew how it was going to end because after after Conan made the first out, Dusty knew how it was going to end. We knew how it was going to end. Lenny Harris pinch hit for Oogie Urbina. That's what you were saying earlier. And here yeah. comes the walk off homer, and instead so that, he grounds yep, out to second base. That's the first indication that maybe things will be different. And anyway, we did just win a series, you know, in Atlanta, so we're starting to feel a little bit better. Um. So now we go to the top of the 11th, and Randall Simon, who had – I, I gave him short shrift. Randall had homered to tie the game, game, or maybe he put him, right. even put him up. It was one of the – it was um, – Might have been a lead-changing go-ahead, I think it was, in the eighth. 
top of the eighth. Yeah, it was a it was a clutch home run, one of the biggest home runs in club playoff yeah, history. It turned the game around. The Cubs are losing in the top of the eighth, and Randall hits a two-run bomb. Yep. Suddenly, they take the lead. That was the lead that Borowski. Oh, because we had this craziness. We need to talk about this too. So, uh, Chad, future Cub Chad Fox, who Dusty ended his career by uh, yep. overpitching him with a bad elbow. I was going to. He still sometime. came back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with one out, Tom Goodwin pinch hit, and he had a triple. And then Randall Simon hit a home run that gave the Cubs the lead. It was very exciting. Um, I can still picture it because I just watched it last year. It was another all of his, it was a towering all shot insane. down the They're right these, field line. Yes. So the Cubs have one pinch hit triple in the game, which is pretty rare. We go to the top of the 11th, still tied, and Miguel T- Mike or Michael Tejera is going to pitch for the Marlins. They're running out of pitchers. Um, Simon comes up. Here you go. He can hit another home run. But he doesn't. He lines out. But then a little bit on top of it. Lofton singles and Doug Glanville pinch hits. And what does Doug Glanville do? He hits a pinch hit triple. The Cubs had two in the same game. And and Glanville's triple was sort of unique in that it was well struck, but basically just over the shortstop's uh, reach, and somehow managed to skip past the left and center fielders, allowing uh, Lofton to come around. Right. So he's so the Cubs have taken the lead, and he's the third with one out, and he got Sammy Moises and Aramis coming up. So surely good things are going to happen. Uh, he doesn't score. They leave him at third. Sammy intentionally nice. walked, and Moises and Aramis both pop out to the infield. So now we're in the eleventh, and Mike Remlinger is like the only dude left in the bullpen. Maybe Dave Veers too, and so um, he's coming in. Mark Guthrie could be there, and. Um, remember, we're Cub fans, so we're just waiting for the other shoe yeah. to drop. We're not through the wood. We, our mindset at this point in time is how are we going to get kicked in the nuts here? Uh, Slappy Juan Pierre leads off, but he grounds out to short, so there's one out. And then Remlinger strikes out Luis Castillo, so this is great. Except Gabor can't handle the ball. <laughs> and so Castillo reaches on a strikeout. And now he's at first base. And this is going to be bad. Um, Pudge grounds I, back to Remlinger, who thinks about going to second, but probably wisely doesn't, because Castillo is running. So now there's a runner at second. Tying run. And two outs. And Derek Lee is coming up. And this is the sign we've all been waiting for. Yep. Uh, he hits the ball to Aramis. Future teammate very soon. Who makes a complete mess out of it. Yep, and so we're gonna have runners at first and third, and two outs. Except for some reason, after Aramis bobbles it, or first and second, yeah, yeah. I guess if he shouldn't, if he could have, well, he was at second. So he should have gone to third. He wasn't going to advance because it was hit to Aramis, right? Oh, you're right. He's a yes. He's, he's a froze. Aramis bobbles it, or did he? Yeah. And how does it end up? Well, he bobbles. What happens is that he, he he goofs the play, but somehow Castillo wanders too far off. Yeah, but second. I don't. I because I, uh, I just watched this damn thing last year, and I don't I don't remember exactly why this happens. But what's screwing me up is he didn't throw to first; he threw to second. Yeah, Castillo is out five to four to five because he to end because the game. he bobbled, could be because he muffed the play. Right, but did he throw? Behind Castillo? That's what I. That's what I believe is what happened. I'm almost positive that's how it happened. 
But anyway, so the Cubs get the gift final out of the game with Luis Castillo running because he's out by 30 feet when he runs to third base. Yeah, there's a rundown, so of course you still have to sweat it, right? Like, hey, how they're gonna, you know? Maybe that's all that happened. He was coming to third. Ramos didn't throw to first. Now Castillo's like, oh shit, and he tries to go back to second. Um, and that they throw to second, is, he comes back to third, and that's when Aramis tags him out. Comes and away. that is definitively what sort of made us all feel that we had turned a corner. Honest to God. That's the game that we should not have won, I felt like. Right. So the Cubs are up two games to one in the series. Um, and now we've got... Uh, Can I just tell a quick personal story about the next night, just for the record? I know we're, we're running, we're probably over two hours at this point, but I think we expected to for when we pull up a season like this. But just going to say, I, me- I mentioned earlier that when the Cubs clinched uh, the division, uh, I was at a bachelor party on a golf course with a guy who was a Sox fan. The Saturday night game, game four, was the night of the wedding. And I was my bro- and we played softball. It was actually a friend of my brother's, but I knew him well. We played softball together. We're at this wedding, and the Cubs game is going on. Now, this guy's a diehard Sox fan like you and I are Cubs fans. Like hates the Cubs and you know this and that. This is before the Sox have won the World Series too, which is an important point because he was the one guy that would always tell me after you know having beers after softball, he'd say, "I don't care if the Cubs ever win it, they just can't win it before the Sox." Hmm. But this is before 2005. He marries a girl. I think she's from Schiller Park. Family, not just like passive Cub fans, but diehard Cub fans. So. Mark's family, Mark's a Sox fan. His dad, who we know well, diehard old school Sox fan, half the wedding Sox fans. The other half, as it turns out, the bride's family, they're Cubs fans. Okay. Just throwing that out there. We're at the wedding. Uh, one of the guys in our party, you know, it's 2003, a little bit harder to access media. You don't want to be rude, hang out at the bar. He looked like an FBI guy. You know, he's got the game on his ear and we're getting updates. And then he tells us. Because this is what happened in the first inning in game four. Uh, former Cub, Dontrell Willis, who was on fire, is uh, you know pitching against the Cubs. And our guy, Aramis, hits a first inning grand slam. And you know we're excited about it. But the wedding goes on. Things continue. We're sitting at our table. And the DJ would periodically provide updates. And so obviously there are Sox fans in, in attendance because the groom's family are Sox fans. So they're booing, but we're, you know, at the table and, and enjoying it. And we're whooping it up because again, you know, the, the, the bride happens to be a family of Cubs fans and I'm a Cubs fan. My brother's a Cubs fan. So we're enjoying the shit out of this. This, this groom has to eat shit. <laughs> so the game ends uh, for those of you at home, spoiler alert, Cubs do win this game. We could break it down wanted to, to share this that at the end uh when the dj or the mc uh announced that the game was over the cubs and we knew that that the game was over the cubs won it going away aramis hits the grand slam in the first inning for christ's sake after informing us of the of the whim actually plays go cubs go hmm. so it was beautiful beautiful shit eating sandwich that or shit sandwich that mark had to eat that at his own wedding uh he had to listen to a room full of people uh, Cubs. I'm going to just put an, an end to this long-winded story and say that later at that evening, we walk up to the groom's dad and he just sticks out his hand to my brother and I. He goes, congratulations. And with both of us instinctively, yeah, right. no, 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 no. It took us 19 years just to get to this point. Okay. 
1984, the Cubs, of course, were up two games, only had to win one with three chances to do it uh, and didn't pull it off. So we it, it, it took us 19 years just to get to that point. We were not assuming it was over. We were having fun. We were enjoying it. The Cubs were up. Deep down, we probably felt they were going to do it, but we were not about to accept any kudos because they had to do it. Deep down, though, we're like, they got this. So there you go. I may have talked all over game four. I don't we don't have no, any details. It was they won yeah, it in was the first a, inning. It was a matchup of uh the that was the trade, Matt Clement against Dontrell. And the Cubs yep. jumped all over Dontrell. Um that not only did Aramis hit hit the grand slam, um, but he came back in the third and he drove in another run and they were up six nothing after three. They yep. were up um seven nothing after four. Rick Helling was in pitching for the Marlins. Home run Helling. They ended up um, uh, Clement pitched really well. Went seven and two thirds. Only gave up three runs. Two. Okay. Yeah, he had a nice lead. Didn't have to look uh, over his shoulder to the bullpen. Yeah, he had three runs. The Farns pitched the last inning in the third. And so now the Cubs were all set up the next day is. with the game one matchup again. It was going to be Josh Beckett and Carlos Zambrano and the Cubs win and they have an extra passenger on the plane back to Chicago. It would be the NL, whatever the name of the trophy is. Oh, I thought you were going to say Tom Dreesen. And Tom Dreesen. The problem was Carlos pitched really well. But the Cubs, he did. Uh, he didn't pitch as well as Josh Beckett. Beckett it was threw a 11-strikeout, two-hitter. Yeah, it was. Uh, he was beginning his streak. So as, as poorly as he had pitched in game one, and Carlos rebounded. He, he, Carlos only went five innings. He gave up two runs. Struck yeah. out five. He'd walk four. He didn't it's some great. redemption. He in trouble. Uh, Dave Veers gave up a run because that's what he did. Reminder gave up a run. Alfonseca didn't. Yep. Um, but the Cubs lost four nothing. Yeah, and without being cocky, it felt like a game that they could. Absorb. Yeah, because now you're because... going you're gonna to go home. You're going to have a day off, and then you're going to have Pryor, Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood pitching. So with it. either one wins, and you go to the World Series. Just to bring it one more time to 84, I'm going to bring this up again when we talk about 1984, but uh, you'll recall that 1984, the season in which the Cubs did have three chances to win one game. Their last chance came down to Rick Sutcliffe, who was 16-1, uh, 17-1 if you count his game one victory. Um, had won 14 consecutive decisions, would have been 15. And I just remember when Garvey hit the homer, my brother just saying, all this means is that Steve Trout's going to pitch the first game of the World Series. Well, similarly, I want to say that in 2003, Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood had either lost back-to-back one time in successive starts or zero times. It's one of those two. I can't remember precisely. And so it was like, felt like the same thing, really, in a sense, as 84. It's like, all right, well, we we lost one, but a little bit different because they had two games to do it. But again, you had Pryor, you had Wood. So... That's a derail this to 84, but just a quick story. Um, at a Cub convention, you know, they you go around and the, they'll have some of the, like the marquee guys, they would have like a autograph, like raffle. And you'd get a ticket and you could go get in line and get, my dad got, um, he, he got a ticket and got, that's how I have Carlos's autograph. Dad stood in line and got Carlos's autograph. Sweet. So for other guys, you didn't need them. And so we were walking through the thing, and they had some 84 Cubs up on the thing. You could just walk up. The line wasn't too long. And the first guy in line was Jim Fry. And um, so I had a baseball, and I handed it to him. And just because I'm an asshole, I said, well, um, 
we'll get him in game six. And that was a reference to the fact <laughs> that he famously didn't pitch Cycliffe in game four when he had, he could have, could have gone he for the have. jugular in game four. Subsequent to that, me and my little smart ass remark to Jim Fry, who didn't give a shit because he's like, probably right. didn't, didn't hear me. And if he did, he's like, fuck that kid. I don't care. Plus he still had those weird transition glasses that had turned into sunglasses, even though he was inside. <laughs> um, I'm sure he had his little blue tennis shoes on that he would wear. Um, this I did a rewatch for Decipio. I did a game, you know, I, I did a game breakdown of it. I had never watched game five since I was a kid and I watched it again and I went through it and there's no way Sutcliffe would have pitched well in game four. He was probably gassed. He yeah. was. He, yeah. And, and although game four was a night game, game five was a day game. Yeah. So not a huge difference in time. But twelve hours. Uh, well, a huge difference in sunny and heat, because Cyclops, oh, especially with the stupid beard and the big poofy hair, and he was a little doughy. He was, he was melting down on the mound. He was exhausted. And he pitched pretty well. I mean, he'll give three runs. five innings. Yeah. Um, yeah but I, I, I watched the game. I changed my mind watching. I'm like, there is. He should not have pitched game four. Yeah, Sanderson had to man up and and, yeah. and do better, and and I don't think it was a matter of because that was always the thing, right? They were saving him to to pitch Game One of the World Series. They weren't. They they really just they needed they they had him in reserve if they needed Game Five, which they hope they didn't need. But I don't think it would have gone well had they pitched him in Game Four. Well, I'm glad you revisited. it. I mean, that's fair. I think if you flash forward to 2003, it's almost similar, where like. You, you're running out of gas with Pryor just yeah. to get to the series. And so the, problem, the we, problem we have with it is that he's pitching on normal rest, but he threw 135 pitches. extra pitches in game two that he shouldn't have because with an 11-run lead, they were still pitching him. That's almost three innings sometimes if you're pitching well. But, you know, so it's one of the most exciting days in Cub history. You're all excited. It's um, for, First Mark time. Pryor, for, Mark Pryor first time is so good. All First year. time in our lifetime that the Cubs are in a position to clinch a pennant at Wrigley Field. Yep. Uh, that, that, the fact that that day existed uh, was singular and unprecedented. He, he was going up against Carl Pavano, and we're like, oh, we can handle Carl Pavano. That won't be an issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, Marlins are scrambling already. They're to use Beckett again. And he mostly cruises through the first seven innings. He's got a 3 nothing lead. The Cubs got two off Pavano, and I remember they, they because Dontrell hadn't pitched very much because <laughs> they knocked came him in out. Relief. He came in in relief and gave up another run. I think it was a the, wild pitch. A that wild pitch. Sammy, I'm I telling think. you. And so you're like, all right, now that was the that was the extra run we needed. Now it's a three run. That lead. was. That's the point. You can't blow that, it now. Yeah, just to go one more anecdote, Andy. I have to cram this in because it's my only chance, but. I forced my dad to go to this game instead of me in some stupid, futile gesture, some sentimental act. And my dad did not even want to go. You know, he was like, you're younger. You'll remember it more. These are my tickets. My brother was going and I'm like, I want to make sure I'm going to force my dad to go. Even my mom was like, he doesn't want to go. And I was like, just trying. I was just very, being very sort of, um, you know, obvious with this sentimental gesture. Like, you know, my dad's born in 33, barely remembers 45. He wasn't in the park. They're going to clinch the pennant. You got to go. And he was, he was reluctant. And I really wanted him to go. I, I just genuinely, I'm like, I, yeah, I will get my chances. Uh, I think I may have killed him. He's still alive, fortunately. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. But he just turned 70. Uh, my dad, the same guy who I've said before, once sent me to my room for jinxing the White Sox into a win. 
went at one point during this game when that wild pitch happened, he did turn to my cousin Tom, um, who he had been going to games with since the '60s and Bears games. And uh, he said, "Tom, I can smell it. This yeah. is kind of a family lore." Yeah, who knew he was smelling death? So actually, I, we were right, but we were wrong. So they had a one nothing lead going in the bottom of the sixth with Pavano still pitching. Um, Dontrell came in to pitch to Caros with it was Sandy. Grudge Alonic who scored the, the third run, right? right? And so that so that wild That's pitch was the second run, and then an inning mm. in the seventh, mm. Grudge Alonic drove drove in Paul Baco. That's the one. I'm sorry. It was when it went up three nothing, yeah. and not, not just my dad in the stands. I think everybody. Well, especially when Paul Baco scored, you're like, all right, this won't All be right. a problem. It's like it should be a holiday. So, at least twice earlier in the season, once it happened to Baco, where he went for a he went for a Early foul in ball the series in game two. Okay, yeah. game. but it also had happened earlier in the season with somebody else where a fan I pulled it up. Where a fan had knocked a ball away from a cub because they couldn't resist themselves. And then you're right. Earlier, he was over by where the screen used to end. Similar. And some asshole knocked the ball away from him. The date is May 3rd, 2003. Way back in May. Now, at one point when I was uh, writing, uh, I was able to pull a Paul Sullivan article like five years after the fact in 2008 that had the details about some stockbroker looking asshole in the, in the front row on May 3rd, uh, 2003, that messed with the ball in the top of the eighth inning when the Cubs blew a uh, one run lead and lost the game. And I didn't have cable this year after we got married, we're, we, we had cut it. We we're saving money. I remember just cleaning the house, listening to the game on the radio and how irritated Pat Hughes and really Santo of course, was at oh, this yeah. fan on May 3rd, who had reached out when Moises Alou was trying to catch the ball near the Cubs bullpen and the Cubs lost the game and you know, whatever, but it was a story. It was in the news and uh, the guy didn't get kicked out because it's a meaningless regular season game. People saw pictures of him. Nothing more was made out of it, but it totally happened. And Moises Alou was the one that was going for the board. I only bring this up because some people admits what we're going to talk about. will try to somehow jump on Moises and I was not a huge fan of Moises. I've had my shots at him. When we talk about 2002, we'll discuss when I heckled him raw because he was, had gotten off to such a horrible start, but in fairness to him, um, he went, he experienced that and the Cubs lost the game as the result in the top of the eighth inning. We already talked about the fact that the Cubs clinched the division on the second to last day of the season. So it's almost possible that this play, this game could have cost them a trip. Nobody would have known about it is yeah. my point, I guess. Um, and I wish more people knew about it because more people would be conscious of a reminder of when you go to a ball game uh, and you're watching the best players in the world, watch the greatest game in the world, that that is what you're there to see. That would be the reminder that, uh, you are there distinctly for that one reason. And if you add, you know, other levels like, you know, being at the most important game in 58 years, and perhaps seeing a ball in the air that's the 23rd out of that game, that you might have the presence of mind to think, well, maybe my, my team, which I'm paying good money to see in witness history, is going to catch. You would think so. You would think so. So I assume... Well, the thing about this was the Cubs had there had been a, an off day the day before, so presumably the Cubs had a full bullpen. Um, you could go to anybody, and anybody wasn't much. They really, if I'm Dusty, I was um, 
preferred is that Pryor just goes the whole way. But I would guess that it was... You've got Borowski, Farnsworth, and Remlinger is all you pretty much have, right? right? So you can cover, when you get to the eighth with a three-run lead, you should be able to piece this together. And not in the way that it fucking happened. Um, Joe threw his... Joe Joe had his big effort going two and a third Friday night. Didn't need to be pitched. Didn't need to pitch Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Three days off. Right. So he's... He's ready to go. It may have been unconventional thinking in 03 to do that, right? The multi-innings shouldn't be, but it certainly was for Dusty. So, so anyway, so Pryor takes the mound um, with a three-run lead. The top of the eighth, he's got Mordecai, Pierre, and Castillo to start. And he gets Mordecai to fly out. And then he actually gets Juan Pierre to fly out. Um, you know, there's... I don't don't want to litigate the whole fucking Bartman thing because it's stupid. Um, right. But the fact Sorry, that there are people who are like, oh, I don't know if he would have caught it. He absolutely, Moises absolutely was going to catch the ball because you could see where his glove was. Right. And if if that ball doesn't get hit, he's out. You're being disingenuous if you suggest otherwise. Yeah, it's not. You know, I think when people sit in the park now and look down to where it is, you look and think probably it's higher up than it was, and you're like, well, there's no way. But when you see the replay. It he, I also Moises didn't have to jump very high to get to it, and he was right under the ball. That's, that's I also I also think that when people see what happened to Bartman, regardless of how they felt at the time, and a lot of them probably felt the same way, that they feel so bad about it that they go so far out of their way yeah, to right to say, it. well, he wasn't going to catch it anyway. So lay off, and, poor Stevie. And I and you know Moises Alou would never be confused for a Gold Glove outfielder, but. Um, that that was a play that you could just tell he he had lined up, he had lined up. Um. So actually, no. So Mordecai flew out. One. So Pierre doubled. Right. Pierre so is on base. Second. Right. There's so there's a runner at second, and there's one out. And Castillo it should be the second out with Juan either. Let's even say Juan advances to third because Moises is half in the stands. If he's daring. Um, yeah, we'll, and he we'll is because the only thing he can do out. is run. But that doesn't right. matter. He, there's two outs. There's a runner out. at third. You have a three-run lead. You don't care. But That's instead, right. Castillo okay. gets another shot. Now, there's a whole bunch of shit that goes wrong here in this moment. The first one is Bartman getting in the way. The second thing is um, the Cubs have a 22-year-old pitcher on the mound. And they just let him stand there. Mm-hmm. Larry Rothschild doesn't waddle out. Dusty doesn't come out just to kind of just reset shit and go, don't worry about that. That's right. That's they just stand is. there and they just stare at him. Like you figure it out. Like, and I, and it was, it's hard to, it's hard to describe it. Mark Pryor never felt like a 22 year old. Of course. Like he, he was, a, he was, a, he was, he was born 28 years old. And I do think they just forgot the fact that he, you have a fucking kid standing on the mound. He's really good, but Moises is pissed and he was jumping up and down and stomping around and the crowd has gone weird and Mm -hmm. the game really needed just to be slowed down for a minute and they didn't do it. Yeah. And then he walked Castillo and now you've got the tying run is coming up and and it's So he he threw a wild pitch, which allowed on the, on the ball. So now it's runners of first and and third, which doesn't matter. It's an insignificant run at third. Yeah. It's the Greg Maddox thing where if you have a runner at third with nobody out, or with yep. one, with nobody or one out in your mind, that run scores. Don't worry about it. Get just don't let it get worse than that. And as Greg says, sometimes you end up 
when you do that, that runner doesn't score. Yeah. But you get yourself in big trouble if your whole thing is to keep that runner at third from scoring. Um, and then it just goes, everything goes sideways. Well, it's first and third when, I don't know who it was, it Derek Lee or, I guess, no, it was Yvonne. It was Pudge. Yeah. who He singles. Well, no, he, oh, he singles to make it three to one. So now it's first and second, right? First and second. And then Cabrera comes up and he yes. hits the chopper to Gonzalez. So, and the only other thing I'll say to people that are like, oh, fuck Alex Gonzalez, two things. First of all, um, yeah, he should have turned the double play, but he had to get two outs. Sometimes you can get a little panicky. Would have been nice if he only had to get one out. Yep. Just get the lob it across the first base. Yeah. Okay. I've, you can almost guarantee the inning ends right there. So let's, let's, and then the other one, and this is just an issue that I have about people that do go so, so far out of their way sometimes to excuse certain behavior. It's ridiculous what happened to Bartman. That goes without saying, right? Um, but you can't go so far as to just like erase that what he did was, was, you know, it was, it was, it was thoughtless. You just don't do that, especially in that situation. You're a fan, like I said, sarcastically earlier you're there to watch the best players in the world play the best game so why well, and it's, would you think to interfere with that let alone the fact that you're about to see you know an insanely historic moment but these people that will go to the ends of the earth to defend uh, Bartman well then just take Alex Gonzalez there. well that's the asshole you should yell at like yeah. somehow they're t- they think they're taking the moral high ground by defending more and they're just Piling on another guy that just happens to be a multimillionaire ball player, but he's still the guy that you're directing the vitriol at. How is that any better? You, you don't want to blame, you know, in that case, like, look, I'm, I'm a Leon Durham fan. I'm not even that. I'm sad that he fucked that up. I'm sad that Alex Gonzalez, it's a physical error. It wasn't, you know, it happens. But, you know, sometimes you make mental errors and they're a little bit more preventable. That's all. And if, you know, if it happens in May to some bro stockbroker there's a decent chance he wasn't really paying that close attention to the situation right but when there's one out in the eighth inning of the game that can send you to the world series you know everybody in that park even cup fans is actually hanging on every pitch they know the situation you should be it's not like you look up and like holy shit here comes the ball you should be acting like that any ball coming your way is a line drive coming at your skull and just yeah. get the fuck out of the way. Just get the fuck out of the way. Don't think what you right, But this idea home. that, well, he looked up and saw the ball and your reaction is to try to catch it. I don't buy that when you know your team is five outs away from the World Series yeah, and your yeah, whole yeah. thing is, we just, I just want to see us get outs. Right. I paid top dollar. You're for not surprised seat. by the ball arriving your way because you, you know, you're as locked in as you're ever going to be in your life at a baseball game. But I want to move on because you are exactly right. There were uh, so many then cascading subsequent events from that. So I'm not excusing that because it was. It was a mental error by a fan. It was a, it was a, it was a mistake in judgment. Right. But the you Cubs could on. have. But that didn't have. That that should no. have been a holy shit. Do you remember when that guy Get almost over it. fucked up the pass? Yes. It shouldn't like have been. Brand oh, Brown. my God. Do you remember Steve Bartman? He should have been, been the Brant Brown of fans. Yes. But instead, Dusty let Pryor get cold, who was already out of gas physically, probably emotionally. Goes out and gets him a little bit late. Farnsworth is not doing it, even to the point where there's a point in this game where it's still salvageable, right? They, they lose the lead. Derek, future Cup Derek Lee gets the heartbreaking double that uh, I believe ties the game up suddenly. Yes. Um, and then what happens is it, what kills me is that Mike Lola gets walked. The bases are loaded. There's one out. 
Conine hits a fly ball to right. All right. We've talked about Sammy yeah. and his shortcomings. And if this happens, if this you should recognize if this happens today, how ridiculous it is. Sammy catches the ball and tries to gun the runner out at home. Sammy doesn't have the arm that he had ten years earlier. And even, yeah, and, and even when he had the air of ten yards ten years earlier, he wouldn't have thrown him out. He would have thrown the ball halfway up the screen, though. Exactly. But by doing so, he gets Mike Lowell and the piano that's on his back to tag up and go to second base, leaving first base open, after which they intentionally walk uh, Todd Hollinsworth. Yeah. And again, Farnsworth can't get a fucking out. It gives can't Mike Mordecai. Mordecai. Bounces one off. Now the game's over, you know, but like they, they had a chance to redeem Bartman. They had a re- chance to redeem. Gonzalez. Well, yeah, because if they if all you keep did. it, if you, if you somehow keep it four to three, or even five to three. You got six more outs. You got six play. more outs, and you've got Oogie, who you have hit. You've hit. You've scored off you... of him twice already in the in the yeah. six games, five games before that. Yes. But yeah, now you're down. Sick. They it gets so ridiculous. Well, the game. The game ended that inning. Yeah. They give up eight runs everything. on five hits. In an inning. Yeah, and, and and of course the fans got over obsessed because my dad and my cousin they were just like, like everyone's chanting asshole and that got out of hand. Yeah. And, but it could have right. get him and it could have been out. it could have been nipped in the bud if if if, if Dusty kind of maybe helped get control on the field and helped coax Pryor out of the inning. He didn't. He got he let Pryor get cold and then Pryor was done and then the game was done. And that's well, and, it. Then, and so then down eight three the Cubs go one two three in the eighth and one two three in the ninth. Although okay, but you still got another game. Right. So now you have the the biggest mulligan in Cub history. You still have a chance to go to the World Series, and you have Kerry Wood, who had been your hero of the... He had won... He'd been put in the same situation in the NLDS. Correct. He's going to do it. blew a chance to win the series, and they had to go to him, and he came through. We were, we were hoping he'd start game one of the series, but no, he's going to come out, and he did okay in game three in that fr- crazy Friday night, but this is if this is what it takes. You know, we lived through that Friday night game, so... Let, let's do, so you know. he's and he's pitching and um it's Brad Penny who they oh it's Mark Redman. Mark Redman yeah, is see, pitching. That's it. I mean Florida's like kind of out of starters at yeah. this point. And so you're thinking, all right, good. We'll get to Redman early and we'll just take care of this. It'll be fine. Problem is you gotta get through the top of the first. And the game Dude, starts amped up. The game starts triple, fly out, walk, homer. Yep. And it's three and nothing the, with the home, one out. The homer's by Cabrera, right? Who's just yep. hit his yeah. Right, the twenty-four year or twenty whatever he is, twenty-year-old who's like, now hitting cleanup in the fucking yeah. in the NLCS, just in the nick of time, you fucker. So now it's like, oh well, shit. Now we're screwed. Yeah. Except we get to the bottom of the second. It's still three nothing, and um, so we talked about how, and I, I mentioned this when I don't know if you. Uh, don't watch it if you haven't watched it. So the Cubs did that stupid uh, pat on the back thing about the renovations movie. Yep. I read your recap. And good. Crane can give an example of how structurally uh, lousy Wrigley Field was towards the end before the renovations. Talks about how he was at a Jimmy Buffett concert and the fans were making the stand sway. Really, that's the fucking example you're going to use? Right. I mean, we saw it when Sammy hit the home run off in game one, Lugie Urbina in game one. And then what happens in the second inning of game it just almost seven, incredible, right? Almost took the stadium down. So I, the Cubs just, are down. Cubs are down three, nothing. And with one out, Caros doubles, Gonzalez doubles. And then Damian Miller makes an out, but carries up with two outs and two, two. on. 
And he doesn't just hit a home run. He hits a bomb. There's a shot. And the and Wrigley goes absolutely apeshit. The game's tied, and it's like, okay, good. Now we're we got this. We'll, we'll you know, Carey hit the homer. We tied it up. He yep. he had been, he'd look good in the top of the second. Everything's settled down. This is going to be great. But he, we're only tied. Right. He gets through the third, and then the Cubs actually um, take well, the then lead. Moises, Moises right. does exactly what Carey does. He Moises, a Moises hits a home run. Wrigley goes nuts, and it's five to three. And now it's like, okay, well. We're going to take advantage of our extra chance. This, this is, is where I'm going to introduce a name that will always haunt me, and it's Brian Banks, a longtime utility guy. He used to be with the Brewers, who I believe leads off, what is it? The, the fifth. The fifth inning. And the first chink in Kerry Wood's armor, as it turns out, at the most inopportune time. He just loses his ability to throw strikes. Walks Brian Banks on five pitches. Yeah, with a, with, you know, after they he gets Pierre to fly out, but then he walks Castillo. Yeah, and now it's an all hands He's on deck it. game seven, which and... you would think. No, you would think, right? But you know, our guy Matt Clement, right? Isn't he involved in this? Well, that was discussion? always the 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 story that we've heard was that when Rothschild was talking to the starters about who would be available out of the bullpen, Clement said he wasn't comfortable pitching out of the bullpen. Yeah. And we don't know that to be 100% true, Incredible. but it's a story that we've heard because he would have been a guy you would have wanted to have pitched in this game. I mean, because who comes into this game for Florida, by the way? Yeah, it's coming up here. And is he already? Yeah, he's coming up as so, soon as so, they, as soon as, well, so after he walks Banks and he walks Castillo. Two days rest. And, and by the way, Clement's on three days rest. It's, it's, really yeah, and you're not asking him to start. You only want a couple eight, innings out of it. 18 years later, that really, I, I guess the culture is more uh, attuned to that now. Is a little bit maybe of an unusual move to do that with your number four starter? Why would you need him to come in? Well, but so 13 it, years later, out of the Dave Veers, the Cubs almost the Cubs almost pitched their entire starting staff in Game Seven. Exactly. If, if the Cubs, if they hadn't scored. When Zobrist got the big hit, Jake yeah. was coming in, meaning that Hendricks. What? So one day's rest. One day's rest. Not even. Right. So, yeah. Hendricks, Hendricks Lester, and Arietta would yeah. have all pitched in Game Seven. Everybody but Laggy. Yeah, but Matt Clement on three days rest. Heaven forbid. Heaven forfend. So, Pudge doubles to cut the lead to one. Uh, Cabrera ground Cabrera grounds out, and so he can still get out of it with the lead. A future um, Cub, but Derek Lee singles to score. Yeah. Derek Lee's Roberts. numbers are not good for the series, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong, but he. Oh wait, Cabrera did drive this. in a run. So then Lee Lee's run gave him the lead. There, Marlins okay. up six five. Yeah, Lee had big hits in the last couple games, obviously. And so in comes Josh Beckett, who, who intrepid readers had seen celebrating the game six win to the early hours of whatever day that was. Yeah. Like Rush, a, Russian division. I think he was down there. And so when bleary eyed Josh Beckett comes in, everybody's like, well, shit, this'll be fine. Well, it wasn't fine. Yeah. Came in in the fifth, got the Cubs one, two, three Marlins tack on another run off of uh, wood. And then Farnsworth. Cause, um, Dusty wood still was still in. Carry. Yep. See, they, even that. He was out of gas. I mean, I, I don't want to blame that for the walks. So the two walks in the fifth inning, Kerry was just as done as prior. They, Dusty beat them so hard to the end. I just and, But it, he had nobody 
He had no provisional, it seems like. So Beckett had pitched a one, two, three, fifth. He comes back, he pitches a one, two, three, sixth. Um yeah, Beckett, the Marlins add down. two runs off the off Farnsworth and then the great Dave Veers. Yeah. Uh that the gut punch the sea bass drives in a couple of runs. Now it's it's gone from seven to five to nine to five. It's uh, over. Yeah. Um for the first time in front of our own fans, too. Beckett finally oh, no, gives up a hit, and yeah, it's a home run to Troy O'Leary. Yeah, see, I'm glad we can finish with Troy O'Leary because he that motherfucker was a bust. He was one of the free agent signings going into the year, like a legit. He wasn't some guy that just made the team. He was expected to contribute. Didn't do jack all year, except help out in a game on a Friday where they had like six hours of rain delay in June finished at 10 o'clock at night, which was, I just remember because it was rare to see the lights on and the Cubs playing on a Friday night. And O'Leary had a big homer there. Otherwise, absolutely useless. Yep. And it's only fitting that he would step up to hit a homer um, in garbage time. To make it, make it 9 to 6. 9 to 6. Um, Becca comes back to pitch the 8th. 1, 2, 3. And then <laughs> Oogie pitches the ninth. And who makes the final out of the season for the Cubs? But my favorite your guy, your guy, or Baco. So Josh Beckett on two days rest, pitched four innings, gave up one hit. And that yep. was it. And that, uh, was, that was the, that was, that was the, the ball game. That was the only non out he made. He made, he got nine, he recorded nine outs on two days rest. Yeah. And then right. didn't know. walk a batter. Only gave up the one hit the homer to with a four run lead that he could give a shit. And just like that, uh, very similar to 84 and uh, very deflating. We would we would gather up our morale in the offseason and realize it was a good team and they would on paper be better the next year. But um, yeah, they did. They did everything after doing everything wrong in game six and seven in the offseason. They did everything right. You know, they got lease. They had a huge upgrade. At first base, which again, I'll I guess confess, they do everything right. They then they handed center field back to Corey, but they um, didn't, which know. was defensible because he, you know, it was he was young. He was their top prospects, even though they had they completely fucked him up in the minors. After. Do you remember? Right, they did. Do you remember the league? Was that the league deal was actually criticized? Like I actually I remember criticizing it. And I'm embarrassed to admit it. Like that's how much. A lot of us were in love with prospects, even though Derek Lee had broken our heart, and Derek Lee was a little bit of a disappointing player but had good potential he obviously had his best years with the cubs yeah i mean i think the the, the feeling was that was he like, was we don't want to give up on he <clears throat> yeah that would have been i guess the only concern but the other part of it was that was a terrible park for him that he was playing in in florida and getting him in wrigley you know, all his offense would take off and it's exactly what happened though it took a while you know, he was terrible in April. He was getting booed, and he was hitting in a million double plays. And then yep. all of a sudden, he, he turned that, into Derek. You said that's where the he stopped Choi chance were yeah. carrying into April. Um, they signed Greggy, so they had made their their starting pitching better. Yep. Um, they and then they I got Nomar what, at the deadline, but yeah. they didn't really fix the bullpen. No, they went into it with Joe, yeah. and then he faded. And I think that's when they got well, they, Latroy. They they signed Latroy right. in the off season, to which back was a good move because he was going to be a setup guy, which he'd always been good at. Yeah, and I think they kind of did think that maybe he could be a closer because yeah. we all kind of thought there's an expiration date on Borowski. God bless. I just want to say, as we're wrapping it up, that God bless Joe Borowski because he really was one of the 
I mean, there's a lot to love about that season, but what he did was really unexpected and he just seemed like a regular dude. Uh, it was a blast, but we knew that it wasn't really meant to last for that long. No. So he got hurt in four. His arm fell off basically. That was it. He gave his life for the 2003 Cubs. Like a few of those we guys. Finally, it took us a while. We finally forgave him for that his disastrous um, emergency start. Yes, was that an old one against in the Giants? One yes, they gave yes. up. He gave up a million runs. Where, the water run to Barry Bonds like, that still hasn't landed. <laughs> where the water was just rushing off. His <laughs> that was brain. how we. That was why we called him Sweaty Joe. He like looked Niagara. He looked Falls. like he was a kid yeah. running under a sprinkler for the. End. He totally redeemed himself, and he was the closer, and it was cool to see a guy, a guy named Borowski pitching for a Chicago team. It fit. And it was fun, and he was reliable. And like you said, even the one game he blew in this series, game three, he hung around to keep them in the game that they eventually won. So uh, it pretty much a nut. He didn't do anything bad. So Joe Borowski, first ballot, Cub Hall of Famer. I'll make the case. I'll make, <laughs> I'll make the case for him after I get it. They can put his plaque there. right next to Orville overall. And then you can put <laughs> right. the Mike Montgomery one next to that, too. That'd be good. Three biggest outs in Cub history. Well, we knew this would uh, be a big one once we saw it land. I strapped myself in for a long night. Um, I feel like it's like in, in Godfather length. This might have gone. Three I don't hours think nobody's going to complain about a three-hour podcast about the 2003. No, there, there'll be people that will tell us what we forgot. I mean, there's yeah. probably a lot. I mean, think about forgot. how much we talked about. And yes, there was stuff that we either well, talked or just kind of to skip quickly over. We had to give the proper treatment to the things that everyone remembers just to set the record straight. But, yeah, there was a lot of shit that happened. I'm glad I remembered Zambrano going yard over Wade and Wade Miller. That was a critical point. So And so it's a lot, you know, your perspective changes. Five years ago, the 2003 Cubs became much more likable than they I'd had like been. I'd like to think so. I'd than like they had been before it, that. Oh, the 80s, yeah. the 2014 will never be likable. Fuck those guys. No, no. But you're um, right. I think we got, like, there is that pain when you think of 2000. That's why I almost groaned when the wheel fell on it because I'm like, we got to talk about it sometime. It was such a great season. But, like, I know we have to, like, you know, go over the pain at the end. Yeah, but it you're was, absolutely right that the season this summer was so much fucking fun. And I think we brought that out because, I mean. It was, <sighs> it was everybody's favorite season until it wasn't. <laughs> it was because I don't feel that way about '84 so much because '84 maybe because time is the fact of it. Like, oh, I, we were kids too. It, as painful as the ending was, I remember how awesome the summer was. 2003, I still sort of immediately think about how, and I don't think that did happen in '84. That things just really turned dark. Yeah, and, and, and it, it, in '84, the Cubs were so starved for fans. That, that too. I could go to the library, come into Rockford, and I could go to the library and check out books. And for every X amount of books, I would get these. I would they would get Cub tickets, and we went to seven games there, which was a lot for driving in all the way in from. Yeah, yeah and they were seven right. and zero in the seven all games we game. went. To. No shit. Yeah. Wow, you went to as many games as I did. Good for you. And in then 84. when we get to the eighty-four one, then we'll get to the fact that I we were we were at the ticket window. On your way out of town on yeah. vacation, and we were right? just gonna was like, yeah, we could squeeze in a Cub game, and on then June 23rd. all we could get was standing room only. And Dad knew Mom wasn't gonna want to do that because she was with us because we were going on vacation, and so we were we were driving in a car listening to the Sandberg game. 
or we would have been standing somewhere in the park watching it. Yes. You, you'll have to recap that when we do 84, AKA the next three hour podcast. Yeah. Now that's the other, scrap. that's the other big one in this. That'll be a long one. All right. So thanks for sticking around listeners. If you did. Oh, it's a podcast. They made it to the end. Right. You can pause it and come right. back. It may, it, may, it may have taken them a week to get They're to pro- it. Yeah. I, I love this podcast. I, I drove to Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> <back. laughs> Many of us have herpes.